remember trying to talk to you in high school Couldn't even get a look cause you were too cool But now we're older and we're playing by the new rules We lived and learned Cause it's time Hello again everybody and welcome back to Card Advantage I am Clues, one of your faithful hosts And joining me as always is Rich Rich, how are you tonight? Doing pretty good that is good to hear. We had some minor pre-show hardware technical issues, but we think those are all straightened out. We'll get back to you on that. Speaking of technical issues, we're joined by someone tonight. I'm an issue. He is sometimes an issue. You may recognize that voice from, among other places, the Monday Night Magic Podcast. We are joined by everyone's favorite recurring goblin, Squee. Squee, how are you tonight? I am recurring. That is... <laughs> That is good. I am recurring. <laughs> I Lazy see, joke is now out of the way. I see what you did there. I like it. Oh, uh, why? Like. So this is episode number 109 of Card Advantage, uh, recording here toward the end of February of 2016. Spring is just around the corner, which is a little sad because I'm going to miss skiing. But, it, you know, I guess we have to have all of the seasons. You know, some people ski on water. No, wait, tell me more. I mean, it's like that thing that you do when you go under the water, but right? on the water and wait, faster. That's where you lost me. Okay. I know. So, it's difficult. I mean. I understood the under the water part. It's the on the water part that's not really making much sense. It, it is a bit challenging. Yeah. If you don't, if you aren't fast enough, you might go under the water. Now, wait, if I'm on the water, is there a chance that I can be towed by a ski boat and I can jump a ramp over maybe some sort of a shark? Can I do that? Um, it depends entirely. You said you're on 109? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're in that range now. Okay, so yeah. we're about right to jump the shark. Some would argue we jumped the shark back around episode, oh, I don't know, two. <laughs> I mean, you know, depending on it, where you keep your shark. Yeah, Most that's... things don't actually make it to the shark and it just eats them around episode four. Right. So. Right. Well, um, we have tonight a interesting, let's call it a tangential topic. Uh, from time to time, we wander a little bit away from our uh, original core mission, which was to talk about specifically the cards of magic. Do you remember that back in the day? The whole reason Someday ago. we called the show Card Advantage was that we were talking about That sounds the cards. like something you'd do. But not this week. This week, instead, we are going to go off topic. We're going to go off label. We're going to wander off the beaten path, and we're going to talk about something, uh, let's say, geek culture related, but not necessarily magic related. But to necessarily. My experience, a lot of people who play magic also enjoy this. Oh, there's a very big overlap between these categories. But we've asked Squee here tonight specifically... Not just because he was a handy guest to have around, because even if he dies, we can bring him back next upkeep, but because he actually has uh, a great deal of experience and expertise in this topic, we tonight are going to discuss anime. Dun, dun, dun. So if you don't like anime, Scream. you should probably stop now. Although, no, wait a minute. No, no, no. I disagree. If you don't like anime, stick around. Maybe we can convince you to like anime. Maybe. We'll see. I like to think so. I like to think so, too. So, if you like a great art and amazing storytelling. You know, that's a very good point. Uh, anime is often uh, characterized by uh, fantastic artwork and great – not always uh, great storytelling. It, it's really not that different from saying that you like books or you right. like TV. It's just a medium. It is, in fact, just a medium. Now, before we go too deep into this – 
I think that we should maybe establish some parameters for what we're allowing as anime and what we're not allowing as anime. That is a great way to start an internet fight. Good job, Clues. It is. Well, I think we're going to start a couple of internet fights tonight. We'll see. Yay! This is just the first one, which is what counts as anime? Does it Cartoons. Ha- does it have to be made in Japan? For right, me, are we starting yes. the goalposts? <laughs> okay, so for Rich, yes, it has to be made in Japan. How about you, Squee? Um... At this point, I sort of look at anime as something that's made for Japan rather than just made in Japan. Ah, okay. So you're saying it's not its country of origin, but it's its target demographic. Well, they overlap heavily, but there are things that Japan animates for us right. that most people would not accept as anime. Uh, you, do you have a for instance? Uh, do you remember... Um, most cartoons that were really popular in the 90s. <laughs> See, I thought most of those were Korean animated rather than oh, Japanese. Well, let's clarify. If if being animated in Korea is a factor, then all kinds of things get messed up. That's true. Um, I mean, that's also where The Simpsons comes from, if you really want to get technical about it. But no one really considers it a Korean cartoon. I think it's also where South Park comes from. I'm pretty sure South Park is actually animated by a you know third grade class with <laughs> lots of paper some scissors and maybe some macaroni art there's got to be macaroni art but like for instance transformers right robots in disguise the transformers the robots in disguise are the early ones because some of the later ones are kind of anime-ish well yeah so some of the really early stuff um the ones that a lot of people considered like the gen one transformers yeah like, a lot of that was animated in Japan. Well, a lot of it was barely animated. I mean, I mean it wasn't quite, you know, Hanna-Barbera levels, but... But for me, anime is a very specific art style that when I look at it, I just know what it is. You see, that's where it gets interesting, though, because uh, there's a general style of anime that people think of, which is, like, the big eye stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's based around what... Um, the like Astro like Astro Boy is the one that people think of as the oldest example of it. Um, because that was sort of the first time that that style was really streamlined, right? And, and emulated a great deal. But a lot of the style in Astro Boy itself, with the big eyes and everything, was pulled from Disney animation before that. So finding your cutoff points kind of weird on it. Uh, it's it's like it's like that quote about pornography. I have a hard time defining it, but I sure. know it when I see it. Yeah, and that's sort of what I was getting at before. It's like the idea of drawing the line of what's anime and what's not is going to be entirely relative to a given person. Right. Because I've seen plenty of anime that doesn't at all look like what I would normally think of as anime, but there is a certain aesthetic that you can generally pick out about it. Um, The reason why I sort of define it as made for a Japanese audience is because a lot of the things that people really liked about Japanese animation was specifically how many different things both in the animation and the writing and all of the other elements was just not targeted at them so mm-hmm. it was different than things that they would normally see in other places now right. over time as the influence of anime grew you started to see a lot more of the elements that people liked about it in western animation and in animation from you know european countries and stuff like that overall it's just sort of i guess globalized but there are certain things that when you think of, like, oh, well, that's clearly anime. You know it, you see it. It doesn't even matter if it was made in another country. You know anime when you see it. Right. Uh, so if we're comfortable going with the uh, the we'll know it when we see it litmus test, that's that's perfectly fine with me. 
but let's be clear that that's what we're doing. That we're not we're not taking any other criteria. I mean, here's here's the litmus test for me. Okay, where I'll ask people to see if we agree on what's anime and what's not. Uh, is Avatar: The Last Airbender no. anime or not? No. So Rich says no. Squee. Um, I don't think it's anime, but I think it's heavily anime influenced. Okay. Yes. See, for me, I think it counts. I absolutely think it counts. And that's fair. The the <laughs> art style, uh, the storylines, the character developments, the character designs, I think it is all straight anime. I, I guess um, one one of the things that is that keeps it from being anime for me is how Chinese-based it is. Okay. And I think, like Squee um, said earlier about being Japan-focused, Japan, Japan focused, that's kind of one of the things. Well, I mean... I, not to go. I, 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 I don't want to say you're wrong. It's just that's kind of one of the like the feelings. Like I watched it and I loved Avatar. I think it's amazing, but I don't consider it anime. It just to me, it's a cartoon. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say we'll agree to disagree on this yeah, one. But I fine. I think it totally counts. Uh, they they borrowed from a lot of different Eastern philosophies uh, to to really come up with what they they made. So I I don't know that I agree that it's entirely Chinese based, but I I see where you're coming from. I get, well, your, the, I, I get your point. The interesting thing with it for me is that um, each of the different kingdoms mm-hmm. is heavily inspired by specific cultures. Right. And the Earth Kingdom is where most of the story is actually set. Right. And the Earth Kingdom, I would argue, more than any other one, is very directly based on China. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, they're using actual Chinese writing all over the place. And that's actually Chinese. It's not just they hit the funny characters. Like, you can get someone who can read Chinese to tell you what it says. Right. And that's Does it mostly say cabbages. Um, only at cabbage corp, <laughs> okay. which comes along in Cora. Yeah, that comes but, along in Cora. Like there, for instance, there's an episode not to spoil any plot points, but where Ang is looking for someone who's missing and he's posting, you know, help me find my friend signs all over the town. Right. Mm-hmm. And these signs are in direct Chinese and, one of my friends who speaks Chinese and knows nothing whatsoever about this franchise, like I have one of these posters on my wall. And um, I think they were given out as part of a promotion or something back when this was new and someone got one to me. And so she stood there and she read it and she had a little bit of trouble parsing specific things that were the proper nouns from the show. But she could completely translate what it meant, like right, right. there on the fly. And like that's real Chinese. Okay. And the- Even the actual fighting style of Earthbenders – is based on uh, a form of Chinese Kung Fu. Yeah, all of the martial arts that are in Avatar are based on actual martial arts. All the bending, rather, are based on actual yeah. martial arts. And right. there's all, that's going on all over the place. But the reason why I said that it wasn't anime for me, like I said, my original criterion, the only one that I can consistently apply, not even that it's the best one, but that I can apply, is the target audience. Because if you look at the art that... Any form of history, whoever is doing this most likely has influences from people that came before them who may be from other places. And so new styles are created when you take elements from different places and put it together in one place. And that becomes popular. It influences that area and it spreads forward. Like drawing a line is kind of a moot point to me regardless because the same people enjoy the same elements and different things regardless of what it looks like or where it comes from. Right. But in the for the point of having any line drawn at all, just so that we aren't sitting here and talking about whether or not Gravity Falls counts as anime. Like, most people can generally be like, that's not. And, like, that's obvious. But the ones that are on the the barrier, 
are the interesting points. And like, I like that being a thing. I don't like there being a direct line. Sure. And I think if there are good examples of things that can cross over it, um, Airbender is definitely one of them. Okay. So we'll, we'll, okay, let's, let's go ahead and agree then that it is a, there is a fuzzy line. Yes. And that, uh, there are certainly things that straddle that line or fall into the fuzziness. Okay, great. Then, uh, from there, I'm going to ask you guys the following question. What are some of your favorite anime? You don't even have to give me like a number or a ranking. Just let's get a general discussion. Maybe we'll come up with a ranking in a few minutes, but for now, just if you had, if you had to throw one out and say, Hey, I hear this anime thing is cool. What's good? I think my all-time favorite is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Ah, okay. So Brotherhood, but not Full Metal Alchemist. I like them both. I think Brotherhood's better. That is a fair opinion. <laughs> it's an opinion that I share, in fact. Uh, for background information for people not familiar with it, uh, Full Metal Alchemist is essentially a fantasy setting. Um, it, it's modeled after the early 20th century in Europe. But there's way more going on than that. But that's the aesthetic that they pull in for it. It's got a few elements of steampunk here and there. Oh, it certainly uh, does. But the, one of the most prominent things about it is the concept of alchemy as used here, which is the ability to transmort or trans, um, mute. transmute. Trans- I don't know why I said transmort. Yeah, to transmute objects from one state to another, transmuting matter specifically. And, um, Rather than following the traditional definition, which is you can change one thing into another thing, like changing lead into gold or something like that, you're really reshaping base elements to create new things of equivalent, you know, mass, volume, etc. The law um, of equivalent exchange. Now, the place where it gets complicated is that, like a lot of anime, it's based on something. It's based on an ongoing comic or a manga. And the original TV series was created while the comic was still going. So partway through, it deviates and goes in a completely different direction because there was no more to adapt. But then the Game many, of Thrones problem. Yeah. Yes. It, it caught up with what was there. It took a longer time getting there because it, it knew it needed to buy time. So it did a little more of the character development early on to buy time. But ultimately, it was abundantly clear that it was never going to sync up with the original. So the writers went off and did their own thing. And it was a really good show. It was. But man, they took a hard right. Oh, they took a very definitively different path from where the the original material ended up. And as the original material ran, it later came back and was fully adapted in and of itself into what we call Brotherhood, which is the same characters, but the story goes in a very different direction partway through. Because it follows the manga 100%. Yes. It yeah. is pretty much a frame-by-frame frame adaptation. And if you watch the two, the the first, uh, both both Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, if you watch the first roughly 13 episodes or so, they pretty well track each other. They're very similar. I think the first 10 are about equivalent to the first 20, I think. Yeah. Brotherhood moves faster. It does. Um, it and does. the reason for that is because, like I said, when the original show was airing, they took their time getting there because they didn't have as much to work with. So a lot of elements were added or embellished in the early on story to give them a little more depth, which was cool. Like, I mean, that's great. If you love 100% character driven story, the fact that it takes a longer time getting there in the original show is great for you. Um, when they adapted the manga more directly, they cut all that out because it was never there. And so. When you're watching that, it goes a lot faster, but it's still amazing because you know these characters already, especially if you've seen the original show, and you don't need that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of like, 
if you watch just Brotherhood, you don't really get the attachment to like Nina or Hughes as much. But if you watch both, the attachment's really there. Yeah. Now, I, I want to come back to manga in a second, but before I do, let me ask the following question to you guys, for just in case there are any Full Metal Alchemist fans out there. If the only thing that existed was the original Full Metal Alchemist, and you had never seen Brotherhood, never read the manga, would you be satisfied with what you had? Oh, I can answer yes, yes because that yes. was the case for several years. I, it, I agree. It was until I saw the Conqueror of Shambhala movie. Yeah. That was special. That was so. Yeah. Without spoiling anything me, from the to show, me, to me that's like special. That, to me that's like Firefly. Firefly ended okay. It was sad. It was over, but I was content with it. Then they gave me Serenity. I was like, I just needed Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I feel about the original Full Metal Alchemist. Okay. Yeah. So the original Full Metal Alchemist ran for about fifty episodes. Fifty-one, I think. Okay, fifty-one episodes. And it more or less resolved its plot with the exception of it, it had sort of an open ending that yeah. left a lot of things unresolved, but you could have stopped. Right. Like, I mean, it was an ending, but it wasn't like the everything is tied up neatly ending. And so then a movie was made that kind of did that, but in the, in practice, it left a lot of other things open and it was just sort of like, well, that happened. Yeah. And <laughs> like, I won't even say that it was bad, but I understand the criticism of it. Um, it's easier but, to criticize when you have Brotherhood to compare it to. And that's sort of the thing. So the original show came out, I want to say, in 2003. Mm-hmm. And like so it, it ran for a year. Brotherhood didn't come out until way later, Ten? like six or seven or eight or whatever years later. It came out what? significantly later. And so for the longest time, if you didn't read the comic, that's just what Full Metal Alchemist was for you. Right. Period. That's yeah. all you had because Brotherhood started airing right at the tail end of the manga, and they managed to sync it up so that the last episode aired the same week that the last issue came out. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they perfectly synced it. Like, they gave it... They had finished working on the manga far enough in advance that they could hand over what was going to be published to use as the frames for the final episode. Awesome. Like, it was a really impressive endeavor on their part. Because it also meant that people watching the show didn't know how it ended. Period. Just, they didn't know. That's they nice. knew very, very close to the end, but they didn't know the end until that week. Right. That's and awesome. so like that. it, it was very impressive. Like, you'll almost never see that happen again. But that's the thing. For the longest time, we just had the original show, and the original show was great. I know plenty of people who like the original show more because the original show was on television pacing, which meant yep. that storylines might have run over multiple episodes, but each episode had a payoff. Like, they were each written for TV. Yes. Whereas the manga has one long story. So if you can't handle the fact that you might watch ten episodes and never have a good stopping point, it's because there wasn't one. You're reading a book. Brotherhood is so much better to binge watch. It's the, the best way yes. to watch it is by binging. Um, I'm agree- I'll agree with you on that. Uh, so let before we get deep into any other series, sorry, we, we got a little deep into that one before we circle back here. But it's a good welcome anime. Oh, like, yeah, oh, absolutely. It's it's a good example of a show that pulls in serious elements, tragedy, comedy, action like crazy. It's some of the best action you're going to see in most It really anime. is. I mean, it doesn't have like super epic fight scenes like you, like, you know, when people rate what's the best battle in Dragon Ball and stuff like that. 
but it doesn't have like those, but it still has lots of great action. We'll, well return to Dragon Ball, I promise. <laughs> it, it has the luxury of the fact that, like I said, transmuting is a thing, which means there's more creativity to it. It's more like instead of watching Superman fight Doomsday, you're watching a Green Lantern fight another Green Lantern. Yes. Things are changing constantly. The environment is a massive element to every fight. You never get two identical fights. Yeah. Well, for me, both of them, both both animes, because it happened. Um, Ed's first fight with greed, loved it. Yeah, they're wonderful. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. so I want to come back to manga for a minute. So for those okay. for those who know anime and are are steeped in a- anime and understand it all, you already know what man- manga is. But for those who don't, let's say you're somebody who's only ever watched. I don't know, American cartoons, things that are on uh, Adult Swim or or those sorts of things. And <laughs> to not be fair, even, Adult Swim has tons of anime. They they do. They do. That is true. I I feel like they used to have more, but... They kind of uh, moved it into the Toonami block when they brought it back, but that's essentially still Adult Swim. They just branded it yeah. with something that was nostalgic. Yeah. But if you had to explain to someone who's only ever seen, quote-unquote, American cartoons, uh, what is manga and what the hell does that have to do with anime? Um, it's, it's, manga is a comic book, essentially. It's just, they're, they're closer, I guess closer to graphic novels because they're more longer paced. Yeah, the, the easiest way that I could explain manga is that it's generally serialized comic. Generally they're serialized. Not all of them are like available for purchase standalone. A lot of it. Like, most of the big action things that people think of with the Dragon Ball and the One Piece and the Bleach and all of that kind of stuff, you get a a book each week that comes out on, like, Fridays or Saturdays or something. And when that comes out, it has one issue, like, you know, maybe 30 or 40 pages of several different stories. And you essentially pick those up and you go week to week and you can just read these things. They're dirt cheap. Um, they're not nearly as expensive as the things that you would get here are because they're printed in black and white for the most part. Mm-hmm. They're printed on really cheap paper to the point where it's not uncommon to, if you were to get on a Japanese train to go somewhere, just see a pile of it lying in the corner. Because like, like newspaper. Yeah, they treat it exactly like newspaper. You read it, you're done. You throw it away. No one cares. Um, when they bring it to America, though, while get- yeah, like while you can sort of get that kind of effect from things like Shonen Jump and the like, for the most part, you just get the graphic novel version where they've compiled multiple you know, chapters into one volume. Yeah, they'll, they'll compile them into volumes. You'll see them lining the walls in um, bookstores if you ever find those print versions of Amazon again. And you'll find Bar- that... Um, Barnes & Noble has a decent-sized manga section. Yes. Uh, Barnes & Noble does. Um, in fact, they're probably one of the only reliable places to find it now. Now that most of the other bookstores are gone. Some comic book stores do manga. Not tons of it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing to note, though, if you ever pick up manga, is that um, it doesn't go left to right for the most part. Um, because are- it, yep, as it models after the way Japanese people read, because they don't want to flip it over and make things weird like they used to, um, you start on the left, like the left end of the book, if you were to pick it up, you start at the end that would normally be the back. Mm-hmm. Or I guess you start at the right, and then you the move right. to the left. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking at them on my on the spine of my shelf, not how you'd be holding it. Um, but yeah, you're essentially reading it from the back to the front and in the upper right corner to the bottom left corner across pages. And it takes a little bit of getting used to if you've not done it before. Most people seem to actually be more weirded out by the fact that you're buying black and white comics when the yeah. covers are so colorful and pretty. 
And then you open them and you're like, oh, they're fighting. You can tell because someone spilled ink on the page and I guess that's blood. Um, they, they can be a little hard to follow. Like I personally can't stand, um, action manga because it's really hard to follow the action going on for me. Like I can see it. And if I sit there and look at it, I can sort of tell. But like when I pick up a Helsing manga, there's bullets flying everywhere. Like the actual art is really detailed a lot of the time, but. God help you if you want to tell what's going on for some of it. I I I I can't read Helsing, but I could read Bleach and I could read Fairy Tale. Mm-hmm. And that so, it helps to know if it's aimed at a younger audience, it's easier to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, like they just they don't load it with as much crap, and they certainly don't load it with as much gore as the stuff that you'll run into and things that are aimed at older audiences. So is it fair to say that manga is uh, kind of if if comic books were done by Michael Bay? That you no. can't really well, tell what's going on. It'll vary you know from one artist a to story another, there. just like anything else. Like, I mean, for every person that you find who does it in, like, the Rob Liefeld style, where, like, all the proportions are screwed up and they're not consistent with their character designs and it's really weird looking, you'll also find people that take a very careful hand to it who draw things in very clear and easy-to-follow manners. I just personally am critical of the action manga because a lot of times that's just harder to follow. Okay. All right, and so the the anime that we know and love or have experienced, a lot of them had their beginnings in manga. Yes, a, a lot. Um, that's a it's a varying trend depending on time periods. Um, right now, a lot of anime is based on manga, or it's based on light novels. Which you'll know it's based on a light novel if it moves really slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just been a trend recently. There was a period of time in the early two thousands where visual novels were huge. Um, which are like Japanese games where essentially you, you put in your computer game and it's like if you were to play a video game that was nothing but cutscenes. Mm-hmm. So like sure. a Metal Gear Solid game or something. Um, <laughs> you're essentially just getting text the whole time. Occasionally you put in some decision tree questions, but for the most part, it's just you're reading a book that has pictures that appear with it. Right. right. And these things allow them to jam a massive amount of text in with some interactive elements to keep you paying attention. And I personally found them not exceptionally engaging, but I will totally acknowledge that they allow them to put a lot of detail into something as if they were just writing a book. Mm-hmm. But by keeping the visual element, they keep a lot of people engaged. And they can also do things you can't do easily in a book. Like if you don't like reading Tolkien because he spends forever describing every detail of the world around him and you wish he could just draw you a picture every page and then get on with the story, visual novels are great for that. True. You get pictures, you see what's going on. But so when they adapt these into anime, they've got a whole world of long-winded dialogue, long conversations, long stories and background information, all that. But they're really pretty because they have all this amazing source stuff to work with. Um, So those became popular in the 2000s along with the light novels, which are just directly adapting books. But most of the big visual, like, action-y things are based on manga because... That's what they have to work with. It's already there. You've got the keyframes to run on. It's really easy to adapt and run with. Right. Uh, okay, so do you want to talk about some specific series, or do you want to talk first about uh, some themes that one might see that typify manga? Well, uh, or, let's talk about I'm some sorry, of, our, of anime. I think we could keep talking about some of our favorites, because we only got one out. <laughs> That's true. We only we only talked about Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which, by the uh, way, makes my top five list. I'm just going to oh, put it out for there. sure. I, I think for me, one of my top ones. Um, it's not for everyone, but I really like it. It's the Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. Oh, oh also in, in my top five. 
Ghost in uh, the Shell's are great. Like Ghost in the Shell has multiple TV series, multiple movies. Most of them are their own continuities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very cyberpunk kind of franchise. Only really, it's just straight sci-fi at this point. I would even argue that we're sort of past the punk part. I would yeah. say so too. Uh, yeah, by the it, way, I, I'm not I'm not kidding at all. I'm literally holding my copy of Ghost in the Shell on DVD because it just happened to be sitting on my desk. Excellent, excellent. Um, Ghost in the Shell is set in a future year, not super close to now, but not super far away either. Um, I think it's set in like the 2050s. Um, the technology is right. way more advanced than it should be for that. But when you acknowledge that most of the story was also written 20 or 30 years ago when we were at the height of cyberpunk. It sort of makes sense. Yeah. Um, so the deal with Ghost in the Shell is that you're in, you're following um, a unit of sort of elite police in Japan who, like, I mean, this is super simplifying a complex plot, but essentially these are the super cops who are in charge of making sure that um, people who, by and large, have converted into becoming cyborgs do not get hacked. Right. Because once people started transitioning into having partially robotic bodies... Well, it, a lot of it, tra- you know, goes into transhumanism a little bit, but most of it is simply a matter of like, if your body is replaceable and most of your understanding of the world is given to you through your sensory organs and your body, like what's real. But most of the day to day stuff is simply, Oh, this person was hacked and now they've become an assassin and no one expected it. And Oh God, they're going to kill the president. Yeah. Or the prime minister or whatever is going on at the time. And what I really like about it is that. It's an incredibly complex political thriller. Pretty much each movie does that. Most of the TV show does that. A lot of it yeah. is simply, here's the world of Japanese politics following World War III um, in this setting that the war doesn't get as much attention, but it's there if you're paying attention to the background story. And you're following a lot of people that are going through bureaucracy, but in a manner that's simply, oh, no, we can't take care of this guy. Well, let's find a way to expose him and get the government to drop him. And as soon as he's dropped, let's bust in with invisible spider tanks and shoot everything up and then inspire a Matrix movie. Because that's pretty much what it does. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that That is perfectly fair. Now, it is one of those anime that will talk more. I'll tell you that up front. It, it talks is very lot. talky. Yeah. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of, you know you know, what is a soul kind of stuff going on, but the action is amazing. The characters are very well done. And it's one of the um, few instances where I will tolerate the fact that at least in the TV show, the main character's outfit is stupid. Uh, yes. For the beginning of the series, because it like, it's all adapted from an original manga that is written by written and drawn by a guy who pretty much loves drawing boobs. Um, to put it mildly, he loves drawing fair, shiny, that, naked people. To be fair, that's a lot of anime artists. It, yeah, it I was going to say, I, let's, um, let's just pause for a second and acknowledge that much of manga and and, and anime, or I'm sorry, anime, um, much of it is very much targeting a certain audience. Well, and lots of fans. A certain here. audience is mostly young, straight males. And so you'll have a lot of how to, how to best describe. I think the best That's way to fair. shorthand this is hypersexualized female bodies. Well, to clarify, before you make that too strong of a statement, most of the anime that gets adapted and brought here. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, because they're cherry picking, right? 
like there's a great deal of it that's directed towards women. There's a great deal of it that doesn't have any of that. But a lot of the stuff that sells here, because they decided that their main target demographic was teenage males, airs in that direction. Now, in the case of this one, though, the guy who did um, the original Ghost in the Shell manga absolutely loves drawing shiny naked women. And I say shiny very literally. They are incredibly shiny in all of his source material. So the concept of making a world of robot women right down his alley. Yeah. Um, but that said, when they adapted it to make the TV series standalone complex, it's a TV show. You're not going to have a shiny naked woman walking all over the place. So they created a dumb outfit of hers that it's like a giant, like it's almost like a one piece swimsuit that okay. she wears a coat over. Yeah. But it makes yes. no sense whatsoever. No. Um, as the series goes on, they do less and less of that in favor of actually wearing combat gear to the point where I don't even remember if that comes up that often in the second season. Uh, I, I'm trying to think because I'm trying to, uh, I don't remember that outfit as much as I remember the combat gear. Yeah. And the combat gear sort of takes over as the plot gets a little more serious. Like it's mission to mission, but essentially when you create a world where the person's entire body is machine and incredibly strong and powerful, practical clothing considerations don't matter as much. Right. But it's still kind of dumb when you're watching because you're like, this is incredibly intelligent, but why is the person who's telling me that looking like this? Yeah, why are, <laughs> why are, why are they wearing that? But yeah. yeah. So I remember but I, I overlooked that because the writing is just that good. Agreed. I remember the main female character, she's entirely a robot, correct? Uh, yeah, so her entire she, body is cybernetic. Yeah, that's her, what her I think brain about her is, brain. Yeah, her yeah, brain is I mean, yeah, her, her entire body is. not. Yeah, she's not, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, the, lots of the other characters only have certain parts of them that have yeah, been replaced. Are, are we like the guy with the bionic eyes? Yeah. Saito, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, no, Saito's the sniper, and he's got one bionic eye. There's yeah, also... Uh, um, Batu. But, but yeah. Bato and Boma are the two people that have partial cyborg eyes. Um, they're neat because... Well, I'm not going to go into the backstory. There's there's setting justifications for why certain people have certain enhancements, and it gets explored in all of their backstories. So it it's enjoyable. Standalone Complex gets a lot of points from me for the fact that some of the episodes are completely self-contained mm-hmm. and are actually identified as standalone episodes in the opening credits, um, whereas the complex episodes follow the story of The Laughing Man, which is one of the best stories I've ever seen animated. Agreed. Like, following the Laughing Man story start to finish is amazing. And I would encourage it for anyone who's interested in sci-fi political thrillers. Yeah. Now, uh, one thing that we should mention, since we're on the subject of Ghost in the Shell, uh, which, by the way, I absolutely adore the standalone complex series. The original Ghost in the Shell movie is a, a I'm going to call it a seminal classic of anime. And if you ever get involved in watching anime, you should watch the original Ghost in the Shell film. But bear in mind that the Ghost in the Shell film and the Ghost in the Shell standalone complex they're sort of the same universe and sort of the same story. They're similar. They, they overlap, but it, it's, I don't, I hesitate to call it a reboot, uh, more of a remix, if that makes Think sense. Think about it like comparing the Marvel movies to the Marvel comic books to the Marvel cartoons that you grew up with. Sure. They're all the same characters, but the stories and the continuities are different. Yes. Yeah. Um, they've recently done another one that you can actually, I, I don't know if it's on Netflix yet or not. But there's Ghost and Shell Arise, which is another version of this. It is currently on Netflix, yeah. at and, least as we record this. And Arise starts over. It's sort of like an early story version of this where you're following the formation of this team. But it will never sync up with Standalone Complex or the original movie or anything else. It's just, here's a bunch of characters. Enjoy them. Watch a story. Yep. 
And I'll also say that both the original movie and Standalone Complex both kind of have at their core, uh, what does it really mean to be a person? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean? If your entire body has been replaced, what are you? If you're a consciousness that developed inside of a computer, does that make you any less real? There are a lot of weird metaphysical kind of topics that are touched upon in these series. And I mean, you can just watch them and just enjoy them for the, 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 I'm going to call them the big dumb action scenes. And that's fine. You can totally do that. But there's a whole other level in there that's kind of this debate of uh, what it means to exist that's going on. You know, the movie can be a little bit, I'm not going to call it preachy, but in some places you can go, you can kind of roll your eyes and go, well, that's kind of like pop psychology that you're doing there. But it, it's, it's like still. when people watch The Matrix and they try to find deeper meanings when really they're just throwing whatever they can around. But yeah. Ghost in the Shell, the, the movie does that too. The TV show doesn't have to do that because it's spread out over a lot more time and each episode asks questions it doesn't try to provide answers right and that's sort of more interesting anyway in the long run but definitely like i said that's again on my top five is uh, standalone complex so good so incredibly good uh one i'd like to throw out as a topic of discussion is the one that actually occupies if i were making a ranking the number one spot on my list for anime Ooh, let me guess let me guess yeah Cowboy Bebop? It is exactly Cowboy Bebop. Popular choice. <laughs> it is a popular choice. That series is so damned good. It really is. Uh, okay, so if, if folks have not watched Cowboy Bebop, picture the following. Okay, imagine... You, you remember Firefly? You know how you liked Firefly? Imagine if there were an anime that were what Firefly was based on, let's be honest. I, I, I think I think that no one would deny, probably not even Joss Whedon would deny that that Cowboy Bebop was an influence for Firefly. Probably, yeah. Joss Whedon denies a lot of things, but we all see it. But yeah. admittedly, they both have. Even if it was a total coincidence, they are both adaptations where you've taken a an old genre and put it in space. Right. In the case of Firefly, it's straight up cowboy western in space. In the case of Cowboy Bebop. It's pulling a little bit from that and a little bit from film noir, depending on which character you're following at the time. Yeah. Um, when you're following Spike or Jet, you're pulling in some film noir. When uh, particularly you're the Jet episodes. Yeah, the Jet ones are directly film noir. Mm -hmm. um, when you're following Faye, it's a little more complicated than that, and I won't spoil anything there, but it's pretty great to watch. And yeah. Ed is just fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ed only gets a few spotlight episodes, but one of them is straight up black exploitation films in space, and that's great. <laughs> and Ed, Ed just shines. Uh, so, first of all, I have to say, when I was first introduced to the to Cowboy Bebop at all, it was by a friend of mine in grad school who was a total anime fan, and he's like, "Oh, you have to watch Cowboy Bebop." And just the name alone makes it sound really goofy. It doesn't make much sense. It, 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 if you've never seen it, it sounds nonsensical. Cowboy Bebop, these things don't go together. It doesn't make any sense at all. But it's this weird mix of old genres with sci-fi tropes. And it, it's it when it comes together, the whole is greater than the sum of its pieces, hands down. It's, yes. it's amazingly well done. The first few episodes, you're introduced to just a few main characters, and they tack on a couple of extra characters as as you go up to about episode 10 or so. By then, we're introduced to the entire main cast. And at first, they seem kind of goofy and one note, right? The first time you meet them, you're like, oh, I get it. This guy's like that. But they all have 
deep developed backstories. They're all fully fleshed out, fully formed characters. And you understand by the end of the series the kinds of things that motivate them and why they do what they do. And uh, what I like most about the show is that it is, uh, although from any given episode, there's, you know, what are the wacky hijinks this week? But they're all driven by the characters. It's a very character-driven show, I think. I would argue it's more character-driven than most shows simply because the, like... For most television shows, it's either all standalone episodes that are based on their characters, or it's there's a storyline that runs, and occasionally, you know, you'll break down into little side bits. Cowboy Bebop, every episode, as you watch it, you can directly say, this is that character's episode. Yeah. And they don't all, like, they don't stay in one genre. They jump around a bit. Like, I say Cowboy Bebop is it appropriately, it's a remix of film. Because there are so many call-outs to previous director works, like the classics, all across the board. You can find influences in everything. But it's put to music, essentially, and it's... And, oh, God, the music. It is and the music's so great. good. Yeah. It's put to music, but it jumps genres. It puts it together in a cohesive world. Like, even the silly episodes fit into the same world as the dark episodes. It's not like it jumps genre and all the animation changes and everything's lighter and brighter. It's all one world. It's just there are so many different things going on that it's nuanced. Like the only weakness I ever attribute to Cowboy Bebop is just the fact that as the story goes on and you learn more and more about each of these characters, it does this evil thing where it's like, that's amazing. And then it jumps to something else right? because of the nature of the show. And that's that can get pretty frustrating as you start really digging in. Like there's an episode following Faye's backstory that is in my opinion, the best episode of the entire series, just for the last five minutes. Um, and then after that, when you get to the next episode and it's not following up on that, you're like, but, 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 is, is no, the, I want more of that. Is it the episode with the beta tape? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's great. Um, I think that's one of the most emotional things I've ever seen. Just the reaction looks on all the characters' faces is priceless. It says everything. Now, the one word, of, one word of warning I'll give to anybody who has never seen Cowboy Bebop, who takes it upon themselves to go do it. And, and you should, absolutely. You could go to Amazon right now and buy a box set of it. And I think it's really cheap these days. Just buy it. On my advice alone, just go and do that. It is totally worth your money and your time. But here's the word of warning I will give you. The music is so incredibly good and you want the soundtracks. And they are stupidly expensive because they're all out of print. Yep. <laughs> Those were Suncoast fabulous. Um, th- my word of warning for Cowboy Bebop is that the first episode can be a turnoff because mm-hmm. the first episode is gritty. It's got a lot of, um, like, it's not even ambiance. It's just like, here's a, like, the opening shot is of a ship docking. And it's not like the stupid one in the Star Trek movie that takes forever, but it, it's sort of quiet. And then the episode follows um, the main character, Bounty Hunter Spike, looking for someone who's wanted for essentially narcotics. And there's more to it as the episode unfolds, but it's just dark. It is. There's not yeah. a lot of character interaction on our main characters. There's not a lot of um, uplifting anything to it. It's just dark, and it's violent, and there's blood, and it's one of those things like it's perfectly great as an episode, but then the second episode has a cute dog and a chase sequence 
with a giant dude with an afro chasing after our main character and the dog. And my advice that is, is to shift. Treat the episode, treat that first episode as a pilot because yeah. it is very standalone and very self-contained. Like I have had instances where I've recommended Cowboy Bebop to people and they tell me, I watched the first episode and I hated it. Why'd you do this to me? And it's not that it's bad, but it's like, if I were to rank the 26 episodes of Cowboy Bebop, I would put the first episode probably in the bottom five. Yeah. Not the top five. And not even the top 20. It's just like, it's not terrible, but it's a terrible representation of the it show. Just, it doesn't introduce you to the show very well. It doesn't really introduce you to Spike or it barely acknowledges Jet at all. Yeah. It's, and you're like wondering, kind of, like, who are these people? Like, what is going on? Yeah. It, it's one of those things that it feels like it would have been later in the show, except for the fact that it doesn't feature the extended cast. And it's almost like a day in the life kind of episode was like, and this is what happened to us that day. But when it's the first episode, that's kind of jarring. Yeah. So it, stick with it for two episodes. The third episode introduces Faye. If you want to see most of the core cast, make it episode three. If you still don't like it, you know, you've given it a try. Good job. It probably isn't for you. But between those three episodes, you get a good mix and you'll get a sense of what you're in for. And then yeah. everything after that just builds on it magically. I try to give every anime at least three episodes about before I can decide whether I'm done, keep going to keep going or I'm done. It the does, three is a safe point. It does describe itself as the show that will become a genre unto itself. And I think that's fair. It, it kind of does. Yeah. So that's the one that I wanted to, I absolutely had to bring up because, oh God, Cowboy Bebop, so good. So good that I bought it twice. I bought it on DVD and then I bought it on Blu-ray when it came out. It, it, I think it's the only anime that I own twice. Nice. Not counting movies. Like some of the movies I've rebought, but as an actual TV show, I think it's the only one that I've rebought. Yeah. Okay. So what other series would you like to talk about? I have several written uh, down, but I'm going to throw I it have out there. one. It's not a real popular one. I don't really know a lot of people that know it, but it's called Darker Than Black. I oh, I, I've seen that. I have seen that. Yeah, okay. So explain that, Darker Than that, Black to him. Darker Than Black is set in Japan after... can't call it a world... I don't think they call it a world war, but it's a bit... There's a war. I think it's the South American War or something like that. And essentially what happened is two gates, what they called gates, appeared. Two domes. They appeared in Japan. They appeared in South America. And all of a sudden, people started appearing with special powers called contractors. They have an ability. They have a price to pay for that ability. Um, like one of the characters introduced first, he can transport matter. He can switch matter with one one place to another. Like one part of the episode, he switches himself with a body of water. So water appears where he was, and he goes to water. But to use his ability, after he's done, he has to line up little pebbles in straight rows. That's just what he has to do. It's, it's like obsessive-compulsive X-Men. Yes. Um, And it's not dumb like it sounds. It's really compelling because each character, or like each of the contractors, um, in gaining these powers, they lose something. And usually the thing that they lose is something in the gray area of like, you know, the ability to tell right from wrong is what some people call it. Other people call it being associated. It's not actually that, but it's everyone the, who sees these people is unnerved by them fundamentally. Because they don't have, like, they think of sociopaths because they don't really feel emotions. At least that's how it's portrayed, but you learn a little bit more as it goes yeah. later on. And then there's also dolls. And dolls are, they look like people, but they are emotionless. They're like programmable. They're not, they used to be people, but they're pretty much not anymore. But dolls can send out specters through different mediums, like the police use power lines, 
Um, why am I spacing on her name? Uh, Yin. Yin, the, thank you. One of the main characters. Yeah. She sends hers out through water, and then um, G- um, July sends his out through glass. It's They set up specters that can see things, that, like the, the, like remote viewing, essentially. Yeah, and they're they, trying. Yeah, they have a specter that only contractors and dolls can see. And, and so, ultimately, the the nice appeal of the show is that you're essentially following a group who are given orders from the syndicate. And I won't explain what that is because that's part of the fun of watching it. Mm-hmm. But um, essentially, they're given orders to do things utilizing, you know, the, the main character has abilities. Um, but aside from his abilities, he's just kind of an all-around badass. Yeah. Like, to put it simply, like if he had no powers whatsoever, he's still, you know, a sneaking up on you, flipping around ninja who's fighting with razor wires and stuff. And it's pretty yeah. cool. Um, now, have you? Did you watch the second season? Yes, I have. It's terrible. <laughs> it's different. Um, I didn't dislike it, but I, oh. I understand a lot of the criticism of it, and it, the criticism is valid. But I enjoyed it for different reasons. So I watched it the whole. I watched the first. The, I've seen the whole thing. Yeah. And then I wanted my wife to watch it. She was willing to, and she watched the first season. I said, "All right, we're gonna stop." It's like, why am I? Because the first season ends pretty ending. Like it's end. It's over. Yeah. Like I was actually surprised when there was a second season, and I was like, "We're gonna stop here because that's it makes the most sense to stop here." That's how I felt. No, it's valid. The the so. second season it picks up after the story should have ended, and whether or not it's successful varies opinion to opinion. But yeah. I, I appreciated it for the fact that it essentially it gave me new contractors with new powers and stuff like that. Um, that yeah, that was which cool. is satisfying. But yes, I understand the the critique that the overall story was like what? Um, yeah, because because when you first watch it, it's there's it's arranged two episodes or one story. It's a lot like watching Justice League. Um, you get essentially one hour arc split over two episodes for the, yes. pretty much the entire first season until the end when it gets if a little If they rarely intertwine, a little bit towards the end, they start to piece things together. Like you'll yeah. see characters very like one of my all time favorite characters in anime ever is November 11. Love, I, just, I love November 11. So sure. Yeah. All of the month named characters are MI6, which is just neat. Yep. They so like you've, you've got British spies, you've got Chinese spies, you've got. Things going on all over the place. Um, it, it's a fun story. And if you like action scenes, it's great for that. Um, my favorite contractor power is this guy whose blood explodes. Oh, and yeah. And I just want you to think about all the fight Way potential in. if someone's blood explodes. Way in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that's it. Like, I don't really have to tell you anymore. Imagine fighting someone who, when you cut him, things explode. Oh, it's don't great. worry. He likes to cut himself, too. No, and like, you know, if you figure that out, it's like, oh, well, I can cut myself, too, and it's great. Um, it, it's another good action show. Like from the the four shows we've recommended here, they're all pretty heavy action because that's a lot of what's popular. Like the action in good anime is amazing. Um, yes, really good anime can provide really amazing action, just like Western cartoons and anything else too. But because they tend to aim a little bit older with these, uh, you get more fluid animation because like they want it and they expect it, but they're also allowed to do more. Um. They don't have quite the same rules when it comes to what you are and are not allowed to do because most of the things that we like, if they air in Japan, either air on a satellite channel like with Ghost in the Shell or they air at like two in the morning when they don't have to worry about children wandering in on it. Um, yeah, blood. There's blood. There, there's Lots typically blood. blood. Lots of characters can die. Um, these are and things do. that – And do. And do. 
And these are things that you don't see as much in Western animation. Now, I will give heavy kudos to um, Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and Young Justice for being willing to kill characters. Yes. Which oh, is yeah, so atypical, wanna, it stands out. I did want to bring up Young Justice, so let's come back to that when we're done with uh, sure. Darker Than Black. And so, like, overall, though, Darker Than Black, it's another fun action show. Um, there are a lot of mysteries going on. I will say that it's a show that it's not going to answer all of its mysteries, but it leaves enough out there to make you curious. Well, and it follows, like, you follow this one team that works for the syndicate, but then also, almost equally, you follow this police team, mm-hmm. which I like. Because, you know, when you follow Mizuki, she becomes, you know, some episodes, she is the protagonist. She's the main character we follow. So, I, I like kind of that switching up between who you're, who you're following and to get their perspective on how everything is. Yeah. It's a good, it's a show that makes very good use of limited information for characters. Mm-hmm. So you as the audience will put together things that none of the characters ever will just because you've seen more than they have. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's kind of satisfying in its own way. Yeah. So, so that one gets a uh, recommend darker than black. I season one. Yeah. The first I, I would 25. Recommend, yeah. The, the first season, the first 25 episodes. Um, I, I will definitely say that season two is different. Um, if you really enjoyed the first season and the things that you enjoyed about it were pretty happily resolved by the end of it, or at least they, you were happy with the resolution or willing to accept the resolution, that's totally fine. If you want to watch more and you acknowledge that things might be a little bit different, it's there if you want to watch it. Um, it's yeah. kind of like how when I tell people to watch Death Note, I tell them to stop at episode 25 mm-hmm. because the show is very different after that. And while it's not bad it's not as good and if you want a nice clean cutting point it provides you with one and that's totally fine there are a lot of shows where you just benefit from not watching the rest of it just like anything else Mm -hmm. okay then i'd like to pivot and speak about young justice for a minute because i think that young justice straddles that uh, that fuzzy line that we talked about at the beginning of the show okay Um, is it anime or is it not uh that one i'm more firm with saying not yeah I, i think that it benefits from the fact that it's target even though it's for children so to speak it's targeting a more mature audience and it has more faith in its audience being able to follow more complex storylines than a lot of western animation does but there's nothing about it that's inherently japanese or anime-ish it's just a more mature story yeah yeah i think that's an adult it's more of an adult cartoon it adopts an anime style, but it's definitely a Western cartoon targeting people who grew up on comic books. Yes. But definitely people who grew up on comic books, not people who are young right now. I mean, they could watch it. It's not like there's anything terrible or offensive or they can't follow it. But I, I feel like I feel like it's trying to skew to a slightly older demographic. I, agree with- I, th- I think it's part of the genre where there are a lot of cartoons in the West and it, and in Japan for that matter, that just want to satisfy children. Period. Yeah. That is their only goal. They are there simply to provide whatever they feel like children are entertained in and they don't really need to pull in anyone else. And to credit, that's perfectly valid if your goal is sales. There are other shows that rely on the fact that they can get cross generational appeal where they do things that children can enjoy, but adults can also enjoy. Which, by the way, Avatar was a perfect example of that. Yes, and Avatar was great for that. Like, It was a show that parents could watch with their children without rolling their eyes the whole time. And that's huge. Because if the parents are invested and the children are invested, then you're helping them bond over something. You're also creating a scenario where 
that franchise is strong. That franchise will last. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of Young Justice, children can totally watch it, but they don't necessarily follow all the bits of it that are going on. And they probably won't understand the implications of some of the darker things that happen, especially in the second season. Mm-hmm. But it's there for the parents to think about. Um, and like, it's just good. Like, it's a good show. And yeah. the, the writing is solid. The, again, the, the tone shifts a little bit in the second season, but it's still amazing. And now we're all kind of hoping that it does well enough on Netflix that it gets another season. I was going to say, here's where you as the listener can do something. If you're listening to this now, when the show is produced right now, Netflix has online both seasons one and two of Young Justice. Those are all the seasons that currently exist, but supposedly they are watching the numbers and if there is enough demand i.e. enough people watch seasons one and two on netflix they're thinking of producing a season three young justice suffered from the fact that a lot of cartoons in america are heavily reliant on toy sales yes and the toy sales for young justice allegedly were not up to what the people behind it thought were good enough um i've not seen the numbers on that and i don't know but as someone who also doesn't buy the toys, I can't really judge it in one direction or the other. Right. Um, one thing that you might note that's interesting is a difference between America and Japan. Um, in Japan, toy sales are important for some things. Like, for instance, if it's a robot anime, especially Gundam, the oh. entire point of it is to sell you the, the model kits. They want to sell. Yeah, they like Gundam, Zoids, Macross, all these things, their goal is to sell you an overpriced plastic model kit where you build it yourself or to sell figures or stuff like that. Um, most of the big popular anime are there to sell merch. You'll also notice that that's why the character designs are all over the place because if they're really neat looking, you might want to buy a little statue of it and stick it on your table. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge thing there. The, rather than being about the storyline or all that, like those are great and those are supportive, but a lot of these things get funded on that. Um, or to direct people to the original manga in some cases, or to the video game based on it, or anything like that. Or there, the soundtrack, or now that's anything the other thing they can sell you. If you if you watch something in Japanese, like you watch the actual Japanese opening of stuff after the opening of the anime, a lot of times you'll see like the main sponsors of it. You won't find this on the DVDs. It's usually something you only see in the Japanese broadcasts. But it'll actually have a little bit that says, you know, here's the grand sponsor, and it'll be Sony Music. And the fun fact is that for a lot of anime, the reason that the opening music, if you read the subtitles on it, doesn't make any sense is because the song was written a long time ago, unrelated to the anime. And when the anime was produced, they wanted to make that song popular. So they just slapped the song on there and animated to it. And it's to sell sales for the song single. And it's a whole thing. Like everything on that end is one giant connected marketing machine to sell you the soundtrack, to sell you the merchandise to sell you the art books to sell you anything they can. Now, when you shift over to America, most of our cartoons exist to essentially sell you the toys. Yep. And that can be very limiting (laughs) uh, because a lot of really good shows don't lend well to toys, especially given the dumb policies that we have on this end regarding toys that have girl characters, which is an entire other rant, but it is a thing that becomes problematic for a lot of shows in the West that you don't have in the East. In Japan, when you have the girl character, those sell great. Like the toys, the models, the figures, like you will see way more merchandise for female characters than male characters in practically everything. And if you go over to here, 
you'll watch Avatar The Last Airbender and never get a Katara figure, even though she's arguably the second main character. I don't think there's even an argument about that, honestly. Like, that's the thing. Like, she is the second main character. She does not have any merch. That's crazy. And that's crazy. just what they do here. There are, like, 15 Angs. Like, Jet got a figure, but not Katara. Um, Jet's in Re- three wait, episodes. Really? Yeah. King uh, Boomy got a figure in the first run. That is um, almost as bad as what they did with uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens, where one well, of the major characters is female, and there's virtually no merchandise with but her But there on it. is merchandise. There's no Katara merchandise at all. Wow. Like, the first run of Avatar Last Airbender figures had Aang, Sokka, Prince Zuko, Boomy, and Aang with weird armor that he never wore. <laughs> Is it, they don't want. They don't think girl toys sell. Is that the thing? I guess I don't know. Is it, or is it they don't want female toys for whatever um, reason? There are many different arguments on both sides, but what it mostly boils down to, like from Hasbro, that they're catching a lot of flack for, is that they don't want. They don't think that girls want to buy toys that are directed at boys, and they have a vested interest in keeping the segmentation going because if they have things that are marketed just as girl and just as boy things. It's a lot easier for them to get higher overall sales than it is to try to make things that actually appeal to both. It's a stupid argument, and it's something that has become increasingly more complex now that Avengers is putting girl characters out, and girls can't find toys for them. And Star Wars has now done it, too. And It's a messy thing on this end. But on the Japan end, everything that they do is made to sell everything. If it's popular, there will be a toy. It's probably overpriced. A lot of anime, especially anime made now is made to target Japanese super fans who essentially spend way too much money on all these things. Now, one thing of note that um, I didn't mention before is that in Japan, the TV show is also an ad for the Blu-ray version. And the Blu-ray in Japan is ridiculously expensive. We're talking the equivalent of spending $90 for two episodes. Oh, damn. Wow. Japan is really pricey on this stuff. And they, like, the shows that run in the middle of the night... They'll run censored. Like, they'll hide the gore. They'll add elements just to censor them for the TV run so that the fans who want to be, like, you know, diehard collectors will go out and buy the expensive uncensored version. Even if it's completely unnecessary to do, they will do it, and that's part of the business model. Interesting. It is a very complex merchandise monster that, for the longest time in America, when they brought out the anime here, they just censored it. Like, they didn't want the uncensored versions. The Cartoon Network did not want to see a booby. And they would go through painstaking efforts to hide anything that implied that any of this stuff was going on. Oh, they failed in the original Dragon Ball, I'll tell you that. Yeah, hey, this is a perfect (laughs) time to segue into that. Uh, There are two more shows that I want to at least mention, but one that I think we have to mention is Dragon Ball. We should probably talk about it. Yeah, the Dragon Ball franchise is a big one, and it was a lot of people's gateway. It was. It's so many people. Other, the only other one I can think of that, if it wasn't Dragon Ball, it was Sailor Moon. They were the two megastars of the 90s. Yeah. They, 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 yeah, they introduced so much, pretty much introduced, like, that I remember to America as that type of show. They, they were the two things that people saw and knew were from Japan. Mm-hmm. The only things on that level were if you were to dig back decades in the past to Speed Racer and Voltron and stuff like that. But as far as the modern fans were concerned, and modern meaning, People who are now in like their thirties, yeah, who were in you know high school when um, the anime boom was really starting, when tsunami was a thing, and all of that, um, they knew from years before that, before Pokemon came out and all that stuff got really big, 
that if you woke up really early, you could watch Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon on your local TV stations because mm-hmm. they'd run them syndicated. And yep. that they were really noteworthy because both of these shows had an ongoing plot, and we didn't have that. <laughs> None of our shows did that. Yeah, I mean, you, if you look back at the shows of, like, the 80s, if you look at G.I. Joe, everything is essentially self-contained in an episode. Every now and then there was, like, a, a, a five-episode arc that was, like, a mini-movie, but it was mostly just... Episode starts, stuff happens. By the end of the episode, everything's back to normal again. We start over next week. But now you know. With yeah, now you know, and and to, you should bake cookies without oven mitts. Uh, but now we have a show like Dragon Ball that comes along, and it's like if you watch one episode, yeah, you have not seen a complete story. You probably don't know anyway. what's going on if you came in anywhere in the middle too. And yeah. To be fair, you might have seen the last ten minutes of the previous episode. In in the current episode, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you did. Dragon Ball Z, like so. Dragon Ball for people don't know. Dragon Ball itself is sort of a comic take on a lot of Japanese and Chinese mythology. It's based around Son Goku, who is from the Journey to the West storyline. Yep. Um, this ancient story about a small rampaging monkey king who has to be taken off to the West to overcome his rage. And, um, and the, the Dragon Ball adaptation takes that off in a different direction where instead it's, Hey, there's this little kid who's kind of dumb as a brick, but he's really, really effective at fighting. And he might be the key to like, he might be the person who can help out our other main character, Bulma, who's trying to find seven magic items, Dragon Balls to make a wish. And that very simple premise is like, okay, road trip. We're going to find these Dragon Balls. And on the way, zany stuff happens all through. It's straight up comedy. Mm-hmm. With, that over time, the fight scenes took more and more focus. Um, but in America, like it ran for a little bit. I don't know that they ran through all of it in the original run. I, think I don't they just think they did a bit of it. Um, but Dragon Ball Z is where it really took off because Dragon Ball Z is just the fighting. Like this is adult Goku who in America, they sort of, they took some liberties with the dubbing to make him a lot more like Superman. Where he became, instead of just this little monkey kid who could fight really well, he became this kid who was sent off from his scientist father, from his dying planet or whatever. And good thing he hit his head and now he's, you know, good because he was supposed to take over the world and stuff. <laughs> and, um, but aliens are coming. Oh no, we have to fight them and fighting. And whenever we're not fighting, we're training for the next fight. And some people are dead. We have to wish them back because people die, but we still don't want consequences. And it's an incredibly slow moving story because as it went on, it ran into that thing I said before with Full Metal Alchemist where it's adapting a comic that's not done yet. Only instead of writing their own ending, they just got slower and slower slower to the point where you're spending 10 episodes waiting for five minutes of show to pass. I mean, how how many episodes was the final fight with Frieza? Uh, About 20. Yeah, it was ridiculous. (laughs) It was it's really so, slow. It was actually a month of television if you were watching it syndicated in the afternoon. Like, honestly, one fight lasts longer than some entire anime. Yeah. Uh, yes, this is absolutely true. And it involves a whole lot of fight, 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 stand and stare, stand and stare, talk a little bit, talk some smack, cut away to someone who's fighting crab monsters for no reason, back to talking, okay, now we're going to fight, cut the credits. Yeah. Backstory. Then your backstory, then flashbacks. Then crying, then how dare you? Yeah, and it's very slow. But yeah. that said, people love Dragon Ball. I'm I'm bleeding I, I slightly it. from my mouth, and I'm going to pant and think about how tough this fight's going to be 
and I'm going to think about throwing a punch. Dragon Ball delivered it. Go ahead. Every enemy was always strong, like so much stronger than the last, and how much stronger you became. And it's eventually it's like, only, why is are you not the strongest? Why is there always? I, I understand why there's always something new, but it's like after a while, it's like, come on. Yeah. Um. the The interesting thing that Dragon Ball did deliver on is that because it was so slow moving, it had to give you payoff moments, and the payoff moments are what people remember. Like, like they remember that the Frieza fight takes forever, but the moment Goku's hair glows yellow. And he beats a living crap out of Frieza <laughs> is the highlight of the show. I don't know. Frieza's death is pretty great, I think. Well, yeah, but like that was like the moment where it's like we've been Spoiled waiting so long for this. I can say, oh man, we've just spoiled the Frieza fight. Don't worry, there's another movie called Resurrection F. I can't guess what's gonna happen in that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've heard it's phenomenal. It, it is a fight scene. It is a long fight scene. An extended fight scene. But Roshi's fighting, and that's awesome. So. That is awesome. Uh, although, isn't there a, another Dragon Ball series? Yes. Uh, yes. Where so what's going on right now? currently being subbed and dubbed. Yeah. Dragon Ball Super, because we come up with funny names, um, is picking up the storyline from the end of Dragon Ball Z. So for general introduction, because this is a bunch of letters for you, Dragon Ball was the original show that was a little more comedy-based following Kid Goku. Dragon Ball Z follows adult Goku and his son, Gohan, as they go through, you know, they end up going to other planets, they have to fight ancient enemies, whatever, it's adult. The story ended, like the manga that it was adapted on ended, and Dragon Ball Z got to the end of that. The show was still really popular, and at this point it had been running for something like eight years or something nonstop. So the studio kept making more completely on their own, and that became Dragon Ball Grand Tour, or GT. Which was awful. And most people agree that it was not very good. Um, it had one boon going over the rest of it is because it wasn't adapting a manga, it went a lot faster. And its story arcs only lasted like 10 episodes rather than 50. But people still don't like it because it's not based on the original. And a lot of things that it does are dumb. Um, Sorry, Super Saiyan 4 was super stupid. Yeah. And that's uh, it, it does have like if any show has ever demonstrated power creep, it's Dragon Ball. Oh, man. Uh, like, by, like crazy. So anyway, Dragon Ball Super picks up at the end of Z prior to the epilogue scene. Because, like, the very end of Z, it does an epilogue kind of thing for, like, an episode and a half. With, like, mm-hmm. oh, and look, here are, like, grandchildren and time skip. It, it's before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just picks up, and it takes everything that happened after that and puts it in an alternate continuity. It doesn't count anymore. Retcon gone. Um, and it picks up on the parts that people liked. And Super adapts in its own way. The same storyline that was covered by the Battle of Gods movie and the Resurrection F movie. But it's do, it does it slower a little bit, and so far as it doesn't have to jam it all into two hours. It takes its time, a lot of great action. The comedy is back because the person who worked on the original is here, and there's a lot more fun to it. And it's adapting storylines in a new direction that no one knows where it's going, and that's kind of neat for the first time in 20 years. And that's Dragon Ball, or at least all I want to say about Dragon Ball. Yes, it's it was one of my favorite because it got me into it, but it's also not one of my favorites. It, it doesn't hold up well on a rewatch, but if you do want to watch Dragon Ball, just watch the abridged series instead. That's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> Dragon Ball Z abridged is hilarious, and it's free, and it's a total parody, but it's really enjoyable. It is very enjoyable. So I've and- got. Two more that I want to round things out with. You guys may have a couple of other series you want to mention uh, before we wrap this all up. But one I want to mention is Trigun. Any strong feelings about Trigun? I enjoyed Trigun. It it was fine. 
wasn't my favorite, but it was it was fine. It was good. It was decent. It was funny. Yeah, it had a lot of humor to it, and I liked that. Uh, the, the if if you watch the series all the way through, you find out that the main character, although a complete doofus for much of the series, has this kind of tragic streak to him. And uh, I, yes, I, I think yeah. it was a very good show. I think it was very well done, and I enjoyed the whole thing. Uh, my favorite moment is when Vash got serious, which was not often. Yeah. Yeah. The, it. So Trigon, for backstory, it's, a, it's sort of like another space cowboy thing, but it's pretty much just cowboys with steampunk thrown in. Yes. In practice. Um. Uh, technically, they're on the planet Gunsmoke, which, based on the name, you know the kind of thing you're in for. Um, <laughs> but set on the planet Gunsmoke, you have people that are living in tiny little towns across essentially a desert planet that's like a giant terraforming failure. And okay. so, even though there should be better technology, most of that's lost, and you've just got all these people whose lives suck. Um, but they do have modern technology like donuts and things like that, which is what's important. Yes, donuts are very important. And so, it follows... Um, these two insurance ladies who are essentially charged with there's a man who everywhere he goes, it gets destroyed and it's expensive for their insurance company. So their jobs to find him and somehow stop him from breaking stuff. The humanoid typhoon. It's an incredibly absurd he's, premise. He's got two billion double dollar bounty on him, which like always bothered billion, me. But yeah. what, is, what was a double dollar? Um, you know how much a dollar is? <laughs> it's double. <laughs> it's like way more than that. It's like exponential nonsense. It's whatever the currency of the planet is. But um, it's fun to say, down. yeah. It, yes, it's like so a double down dollar. It's six got like chicken double in it. dollars. <laughs> it's got like two chicken, you know, breasts as the outside of the dollar. Um, but it, <laughs> so early on in the series, it, it's pretty much a comedy where it's like, hey, there's this weirdo. He might or might not be Vash the Stampede. You don't really know early on, and bad things happen around him because he looks like Vash the Stampede, and. People see this giant bounty on him and they just go nuts trying to catch him. But this guy is incredibly lucky or incredibly good. You don't really know for a bit. And just bad things happen all around him. But oh. it's very comedic. But every once in a while, you get a you get these little tease moments where things seem serious. And that's like that moment I described from Dragon Ball Z before where suddenly everything is on a completely different level and things are about to get crazy. That's what happens during those moments, but without like 20 episodes of build up. Yeah. And it's really satisfying when stuff happens. Um, I, I really enjoyed Trigon. My only criticism of it is that there's a tone shift halfway through the series. Mm -hmm. And so if you were really brought in by the first half, then you might miss that when it goes away. Yeah, and that is true. if you don't care as much for that, then stick around because you might really enjoy the second half. If you're fine with both, then that's great. Um, it is another one of those shows that was adapted from a manga that was very far from being finished that goes off in a completely different direction. Yeah, so, changes. A couple characters are core changed. Like, like fundamentally different. And yeah. so if you really enjoy watching Trigun, but you want to know more about that world and the characters, pick up the manga, start from the very beginning, because things are fundamentally different. And it runs for a long time. Like, there's a giant story. There's a bunch of characters that get consolidated or changed for the show. You need to have a fresh start on it to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. But it's good. Like, there, there's a lot of payoff. The comedy sticks around a lot better. Like, the, the books are better paced when it mm -hmm. comes to comedy versus action. And the comedy sticks around, but things do get really dark. So, I enjoyed it, though. It's a fun show. And the movie's good, too. You could watch the movie uh, yes. more or less standalone. You could, If you yeah. just wanted to get a tease of it. It doesn't spoil anything from the show, which is really impressive. It doesn't even spoil the things that are revealed halfway through the show. 
And so you could just watch the Badlands Rumble and enjoy that as a standalone movie. And then go back and watch it after you watch the show and get all the nostalgia out of it. It's perfectly right. And I have one last one that I want to mention. It is related to one that we've talked about before, at least in in some aspects. And that is uh, Avatar The Legend of Korra. Now, I think that this is a spectacular series. Uh, there, there are folks who absolutely loved Avatar, The Last Airbender, the first series, and didn't much care for Korra and uh, vice versa. I liked them both. I think that Korra is a stronger series, despite what Nickelodeon, despite the roadblocks that Nickelodeon put in the way. Nick really did not want that show to be successful. <laughs> because that show almost died so many times. Uh, when, I mean, when it finally ended, they had aired, I think it was the entire fourth season was aired online only. Uh, so the, the broadcast history behind this is that um, originally it was allowed one season. And so the people who worked on Last Airbender came together to work on Korra and they gave it one season and they resolved all their storylines in one season. And then they were told they could do three more. And that's really, really hard when you've resolved all your plot. Yep. So the second season suffers from the fact that they kind of have to shake things up because so many characters have sort of, you know, wrapped up what they needed to do in the first season. So the first half of the second season is a little rough, but halfway through the second season, there's a two-parter that goes into some backstory. The animation style is beautiful. That's the point where everything transitions. So if you're having a tough time with it, keep going until you get to that, and then things are great again. And that storyline runs through the rest of the show. Um, but Nickelodeon made some mistakes. Um, Nickelodeon, for history, never did a good job of promoting either show. Nope. Um, Airbender, original, like, last Airbender, they didn't tell you much of anything about when new episodes happened. You would often find out, if you're watching while it was airing, that, oh, by the way, that came back three weeks ago. I don't know. They, they don't tell you. You don't know. You're probably not watching Nickelodeon anyway if you're an adult. Um, like, if you're not, or at least you're not watching the commercials that would tell you it's coming back, but they just didn't do it. Um, There'd be a number of weeks where you'd tune in to watch it and it would be Spongebob instead. And that's a big letdown. Oh, which, uh, by the way, Spongebob leading into Korra, which was a thing, honestly. Yeah, that's God. a horrible tone shift. That is such a shift. Um, but so anyway, Nickelodeon did a bad job of letting you know when new uh, new things would come out. But on top of that, season three, they managed to leak four episodes early. Um, one of the, I think, South America affiliates or something accidentally put in the online streaming site the first four episodes of season three, like two months before it came back. So that got out, uh, which meant that when they started airing it in America, you know, the diehard fans who are living it up have already seen it and they're not watching it. So the ratings were terrible for the first month. And then when the rest of the show started airing new again, you know, the ratings are coming back. But by this point, Nintendo decided, or not Nintendo, God, Nickelodeon decided Oh, well, this is terrible. Like, no one's watching it. So they effectively wanted to cancel it, but they'd already ordered all of the, the episodes for three and four to be made. So they'd ordered it. They'd paid for it. They were going to get it. They pushed their way through the rest of season three. Um, I believe at times airing two episodes a week just to get through it a little bit faster mm -hmm. until they pr pretty much burned through all of season three really fast. And then that was that. Like, okay, that's done. Um, we're a little nervous waiting for season four because season three is an amazing cliffhanger and you're stuck with it. Just like the last scene of it is like, wow, they did that. And then out of nowhere on Twitter one day, um, you just get this tweet from Nickelodeon that says, Hey, so who wants to know when the next season of Korra starts? And we're like, uh, next year. And like, no, no, next week. 
They're like, what? And they started airing the next season on their, like, just online. You can just tune in on their website and watch it each Friday, like, a month and a half after season three ended. It was really soon. And they ran all of the last season online, except the last episode, for some reason, like, this needs to be on television. So they stick that on TV. Even though anyone who's just watching on TV has no idea what's going on. They've missed an entire season. It's a mess. And then Nickelodeon's like, well, that happened, and now it's done. And the show is finished, and while it resolved all of its plot points, and it ends on, you know, a, a historic television moment, um, it's just over. And the creative team has sort of moved on to do other projects, so we're not getting any more. Yep. But it's a good show. Like, aside from a rocky beginning of the second season, um, it's a very good show. And I greatly appreciated it. I appreciate a lot of the things that it did. Uh, I don't think it's as accessible for the whole family as Airbender was. Certainly not. And I do think it suffers from the fact that Airbender knew from the beginning it was going to go for three seasons or bust. So Airbender has much better pacing. Uh, Cora had some catch up to do after it had to sacrifice the first half of season two, just buying time to get their story straight. But it's still a good show. Um, super props to Cora for the fact that it's like both Avatar shows really have not just like the cliche strong female characters, but like complex female characters with urgency fully developed female fully developed complex they actually have plot urgency they aren't just there as you know window dressing to fill out a team they have their own goals their own motivations they pursue them and i would argue that in each show the most like powerful badass characters were always women Mm -hmm. even in the first one when you know ang is the avatar easily he was not the best bender he just had the most options right right and I really appreciated that. In fact, the antagonist from Airbender season two and on, um, Azula, one of the best characters ever. Oh, God, yes. Like, easily. Like, the the Fire Nation, like, the actual Fire Lord, aside from the fact that he's voiced by the Joker, Mark Hamill, does very little for me. But Zuko and Azula's characters are so complex, I would never have believed I saw them on Nickelodeon. Well, I thought the Fire Lord was better when he was a mystery versus when he actually appeared. Yeah, like yeah. the the hype of him grossly overshadowed what actually happened. But on the same note, keeping the focus on Azula and on like Fire Lord as shown through Zuko worked really effectively. So I like Z- that. Zuko was honestly one of my favorite characters. Uh, I think Zuko was probably the best character from the show, just from a storytelling standpoint. He had an amazing arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like all of that was great. But like they're both good shows. Um. I recommend them. Never watch the live-action movie that didn't happen. Yeah, that didn't um, happen. No. Nope. Why are we even talking about that? Yeah, that, that would never happen. Um, yeah, I've heard the books can't... are good, but I've not read them. I have read them, and they are spectacular. Okay. If, the art books for, if are for awesome. no other reason, just the gorgeous, gorgeous artwork. Yeah, pick up the art books if you enjoy the show. They're good. Um, yeah. I love the art. Like I have the art book for uh, Airbender. I haven't picked up the Korra ones yet because there's like four of them. <laughs> And the one for Airbender is like the best deal ever because it covers the entire show. Mm-hmm. And so you get all three seasons of stuff, tons of character designs. It's modeled after like Japanese art books where you get tons of creator notes and stuff on the side. And that's just wonderful throughout. Like it's really neat. You see details about characters you would have never known just from watching the show because it didn't make it into the final cut. Uh, Korra also has a spectacular soundtrack. And uh, there is a season one soundtrack CD that you can get off of Amazon that's really, really good. Uh, I don't think they've ever bothered to do the other seasons, but a, not not a lot. Okay, some of it was just reused music from uh, uh, season one, but still sure. great, great music all throughout. 
Oh, and we haven't said it before. The animation, especially for the fight scenes between Airbender and Korra, is probably the best you're going to see. Oh, yes. Like, short of finding super crazy big-budget old anime like Akira, you're not going to find better animation for fight scenes. Like, that's including the better anime. Yeah. Um, the All the choreography is incredible. The level of detail in the animation is amazing. The flow, everything is pretty much perfect. I can't think of any bad fight scenes from between the two shows. Nope, certainly And not. I can think of some amazing ones, so... So those are the ones that I just had to get in. So we've exhausted my list of stuff we have to talk about. Do you guys have any other shows that you want to? Um, I I like Bleach. It's I know it's real long winded. It's hard. It's one of those very daunting animes to get into. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed Naruto. Naruto got way better when it became Shippuden because then it became really adult. And- oh God! I I tried to like both of these shows um suffer from the long running problem, like you mentioned. Bleach. I don't think the anime ever ended. I think it stopped. Yeah. No, they, end, they actually ended it. Did they come up with an ending? Yeah. Because I know the manga isn't done yet. Yeah, it is. Oh, is it actually done done? Yeah. I thought the guy yeah. was teasing more. Okay. Maybe he is, but from what I understand, he ended it enough where the manga, because the anime did end. Okay. Well, cool then. That That's good, because holy and crap, Naruto, was that going forever? Naruto has finally ended as well. Yes, that one I know ended. Um, but you know what hasn't ended? One Piece, that's still going. You're well, that's kidding. never ending. One nope. Piece is never ending. Oh, um, never will end. Wow. It, it is a pirate anime. That is all you need to know. <laughs> it is it's a not, pirate comedy anime. My first experience was it was four kids dubbing and it was hate. I hated it. Yeah, that was terrible. And, that. and then I, then I saw Funimation's dubbing is so much better. Yeah. Um, One Piece is just that iconic runs forever TV show. Um, Literally forever. Like I, they're on like episode 800 or something now and they're not stopping anytime soon. So, but anyways, I really, really enjoy. Um, I like Fairy Tale a lot. I don't know Fairy Tale. It's got a nice combination of it's meant for like definitely teenage audience because people die. There's some blood, but it's not tons. Um, it's, it's really popular with um, teenagers and early twenty somethings. Yeah, it's it's good comedy. It's got good action, good fight scenes. It's Good, decent stories. Some are a little, some arcs are a little lacking than others, but it's gonna it's ran for a real long time as well. Uh, but uh, I guess the newest one I just recently watched, which I thought was amazing, one of the best animes watched in a while, and it's um, a Netflix original, so you should definitely check it out. That's Seven Deadly Sins. Okay, I've seen a few episodes of that. So you should see more because it's spectacular. Uh, I so I, I think I watched the first three episodes of it, and. Um, very recently, I go to an anime club, so a lot of these things I'm getting really slowly. And so we were watching one episode a week of that. Okay. And the the action scenes were pretty great. I it, it did suffer the one cardinal sin for me, which is if it does too much of the like jiggle squeeze fan uh, service. If you, it, you really need to get past how much fan service it has, it does have. A and lot. I couldn't. I, it hurt a lot. Um, uh, oh, okay, hold on. I'm going to pause you right there, just in case anybody's listening and doesn't know what the phrase fan service means. What does it mean? Uh, so uh, big boobs, um, they jiggle, groping, panty shots. Like fan like service that. in general is when you do something that's unnecessary, but the fans are supposed to enjoy. Like a lot of that's just like the shout outs. Like the Deadpool movie was nothing but fan service. Yeah. But in the context we're using right now, it's when you're like, you know, we don't have to show this character in a With bathing cleavage. suit. We don't have to show them wearing a super tight, skinny outfit. But you know what we can do? Let's do that. Because someone will be happy for it, and that's it's just what they do. Most like it's unnecessary cleavage. It's unnecessary like a wind blows and her skirt blows up kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. 
and, and a lot of anime is flooded with it. Um, in the case of that one, I think it's just a matter of if it's sufficiently unnecessary to become distracting, it annoys me. Like I've accepted that it's there, but I didn't really I, enjoy it for that. After a while, you st- you don't notice it as much. It gets a little bit better where they stop once it starts to get a little bit more into the story. It mm-hmm. stops, but eventually, you just don't notice it's there as much. Because you're right, in the beginning, it is fairly distracting that they do it, but eventually it goes away. Well, that's good. Well, um, they, I think the bother goes away more than it goes away. You just don't notice it as much because you expect it. Yeah, it's sort of an eye-rolly thing. It um, is. But eventually, yeah, I, 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 it's, like I said, it's one of the best I've watched in a really, really long time. Sure. I mean, like I enjoyed the other elements of it. That part was just sort of in the way for me. Um, in terms of recommendations, because most of what we've recommended here are action shows... Like, I can give some suggestions for things that aren't as action-heavy. Because, like I said, it's a medium. It's not just a genre. Sure. And, like, there's a lot of them. Um, one of the ones that I really enjoy that isn't necessarily for everyone, but that I liked, um, there's, like, a subgenre of anime that pretty much follow a wandering character, encounters things, and moves on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my friends describes it as, like, a Gene Roddenberry story. Sure. Where, yeah. Like, you know, you go to a planet, you see a culture, you move on. You may never yeah. see them again. Um, the, one of my favorite examples of that is a very short anime. You can pick it up pretty easily. It's probably streaming somewhere called Kino's Journey. And Kino's Journey consists of a character who, the main character is Kino. Kino is like a teenager. Um, a very quiet, subdued teenager with a motorcycle. And Kino rides from one country to another. In a world where every country is at a ver- at varying stages of circumstances, some of them are more scientifically advanced, some are less. It plays out like a bunch of short stories. Like you might go to a town where they develop the technology where everyone can read everyone else's mind because they thought it was you know in conflict if everyone had ultimate sympathy. Mm-hmm. But Kino finds all of these people live alone because they get incredibly insecure that stray thoughts are going to offend people around them and. There's just a whole bunch of what-if scenarios throughout this entire, like, 12-episode show. And Kino makes no effort whatsoever to change anyone. Kino makes no effort to solve any of their problems. It's simply, here's a whole bunch of what-ifs to sit there and make you think. And it there's a lot of ambiance to it. It's not depressing, because some of these places are great. But it's nice if you like old-style sci-fi, which is simply speculative. Like, what if this was a thing? Maybe this is what would happen. Um, it's very good for that, and it's short. Like, it's got no real barrier to entry. Uh, that's so, nice. so that's a good one. Um, similar to that, there's an anime called Mushishi, which is about a guy who wanders, um, through, it, it's kind of like fantasy Japan. Like, it's not super ancient samurai time, but it's also not incredibly modern. It's just like a thrown together concoction of imagery. But essentially, he's walking around and he can see spirits that other people can't. And these spirits are called Mushi, and they're responsible for the things people don't understand. And it's kind of like if you were to take a look at local mythologies and urban legends, but as it turns out, the things behind them aren't physics, or they aren't, you know, things in, that we understand with science. They're just the product of these spirits that no one else can see. And, like, he'll go to a town and be like, well, this child can't hear. We don't know why they can't hear. And he's like, oh, well, it can't hear because um, this small... St- snail spirit crawled under their ear and used that as their new home and this snail is eating all the sound that goes in obviously obviously yeah and so to get it out you you make this smell like you you mix these herbs it makes a smell the snail goes oh there's a mate out there it leaves the ear the kid can hear you move on and it's just a neat ambient thing 
Like, there's no greater conflict, but if you like things to just watch and wonder about, it's a great show for that. Um, there are also entire genres of anime that are nothing but comedy with no supernatural elements whatsoever. Um, if you like comedy, there's, um, Oran High School Host Club is, was really, really popular in the early 2000s. Which I believe it, that's on Netflix. It is on Netflix. I did check that one. Um, Oran High School Host Club is about a kid who gets into an incredibly super elite school that only rich people go to, essentially, uh, just on a full scholarship after working really hard. And this kid on the first day gets surrounded by all of these like crazy flamboyant rich people and gets distracted and knocks over like a priceless vase that was just on display because rich people don't care. But by knocking this incredibly expensive thing over and being charged a ridiculous amount of money to fix it, the kid gets drafted into the host club. The host club is essentially a group of really pretty boys who sit around and are charming and women who are super rich show up and pay money for the pleasure of being around them. There's, I mean, it's not like prostitution or anything. It's just, these are wonderful people. Isn't it great to be here? This is so fabulous. It's a completely absurd concept. But this character gets drafted into that world, and as dumb as it sounds, funny things happen constantly on the fish-out-of-water element, and it just runs for a solid 25 or 26 episodes. It's just hilarious. It's great. It's feel-good. You don't really need to know anything going in. Nothing super horrible happens, but it it's almost like if you take the Harry Potter thing of kid gets sent into school with strange people and as a result has strange adventures, only without the supernatural element. Fair enough. So I, I can recommend that one, too. There, there are tons of shows. I mean, it's a giant genre. If you like movies, most of the Miyazaki movies are good. Um, Princess Mononoke is amazing and is probably yeah. one of the best movies ever made. True. Don't, don't really have to go into that. Um if you like shows that are a bit more um, zany, I would definitely recommend checking out the Lupin the Third franchise. <laughs> um, Lupin the Third completely disregards your physics and doesn't care. Um, it is made for fun. <laughs> it is about it, the greatest thief in the world. Period. It is so entertaining. It's like you you sort of turn off the part of your brain that's critical. But for instance, the the way that I describe it to people is um, if you imagine Carmen San Diego. But if instead of Carmen Sandiego taking things and leaving clues as to where they are, instead Carmen Sandiego calls ahead and says, I'm stealing the Statue of Liberty on Thursday at 5 p.m. You know, catch you later. And then the cops and everyone get there to stop this theft, and they're all there just to watch it and make it that much more grand when she does it. Only in this case, Carmen Sandiego is Arsene Lupin III, who's a descendant of Lupin, the, um, the famous French thief from actual literature. And he, along with um, his partner, Jigen, who's like the best, you know, marksman in the world, and Goemon, who's like the best samurai who can cut anything in the world, and Fujiko, who has got practically the biggest boobs in the world, um, <laughs> because her entire thing is she's a femme fatale Matahari character. Um, they go on antics. They steal things the world over. Um, as I mentioned, at one point, he steals the Statue of Liberty. All right. So clues. If you steal the Statue of Liberty, what do you do with it? Ah, uh, boy, I have no idea, honestly. That's right, Clues. You hide it in the Grand Canyon where no one will look for it. Of course not. Nobody ever goes to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, they're never going to look for the Statue of Liberty there. Um, but Lupin the Third is a, it was a long-running TV show that was really popular in classic anime times. A movie is made pretty much every year. There are tons of good ones. Um, there's a recent TV show that aired last year, um, which is set in Italy. It's amazing, too. The entire thing is, it's just straight fun. 
Um, if you had to watch one Lupin thing, um, look up the movie Castle of Cagliostro. Uh, it was Hayao Miyazaki's first film. Uh, huh. Miyazaki, who is known for all of these amazing um, highbrow animation things, more or less got his animation start working on Lupin the Third, the TV show, back in the 70s. And, I mean, there's more to it, but, like, super simplifying, that was his first main thing that we'd be aware of. And the movie is just amazing. It's like a standalone thing. You don't need to know anything about the characters beyond the fact that Lupin is the thief. He steals things. And here's your fairy tale about a thief who's there to steal things. It's fun. It's enjoyable. You can jump right in. You don't need to know anything beyond the fact that physics only applies sometimes. (laughs) And enjoy it. You're on for the ride. Yep. So there's a bit of a variety for you. It's not all sci-fi. It's not all ninjas and samurai. There's a lot of stuff out there, but those are some of the most popular things to come out here. If you like robots, there's a whole world of it for you, and I wouldn't even know where to tell you to begin on that. Uh, Full Metal Panic's not bad from Mech. Mm-hmm. Um, Big O's pretty good. If oh, you yeah, fi- Big O. If you, if you can find it. <clears throat> Big O is great. I'm very glad I bought that. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, I've, I've got it on DVD. Your Big O is wonderful. Good. Um, yeah, so that's actually a fair point to raise. So um, when it comes to mech anime, like the... The very brief version is that there's the super serious ones, which are like your Gundam end, where you've got robots are just robots. They're tools of war. You know, they're, they enable giant one-on-one battles in a battlefield that should have been decided a long time ago by long-range ballistic missiles. Um, that's the world of Gundam. Um, those are the real robots. Then there's the super robots, which are the more crazy, big, dumb Pacific Rim robots, where they're ridiculous. You're not supposed to think too hard about it. And nothing does that better than Gurren Lagann, which is yeah. an anime where you say, can this be bigger? And the answer is always yes. <laughs> I, I think, th- I think, for me, I think one of the best mech is, I think the first season of Full Metal Panic's amazing. And then after that, they stop following a story arc and get really episodic. And it, it, to me, it loses a little bit of something because I thought they did really good with the first story arc. But Full Metal Panic's really decent. Yeah, Full Metal Panic is about a mercenary teenager who was pretty much raised to be a mercenary, raised in battlefields, who was assigned to be a bodyguard for a girl who may contain state secrets that she's not aware of. And she doesn't so, know she's her bodyguard. She, yeah, the thing is, she's not allowed to know that she's under any danger. So you have this guy who is constantly protecting her from what he believes are threats, but he's very fish out of water. There are comedy elements, there are drama elements. The first TV show goes back and forth between comedy and drama episode to episode. The second TV series for it is pretty much all comedy, slice of life, school adventure. The third TV show is all the way back in the other direction with nothing but action and drama. Mm-hmm. And so they, they don't balance it as well, but they're all good shows. Like, I liked all three of them. Yeah. So many shows. So, yeah, but, yeah. My person, I normally like the actions, fantasy mangas, because uh, some sci-fis are fine but mostly i like the action fantasies those are generally my more of my favorites um also samurai shampoo that's always a good watch mm-hmm. that, that's a good follow-up after you finish cowboy bebop because it's the same people um it, it was the like so cowboy bebop is what happens when you put your sort of sci-fi noir in space or like you have sci-fi noir essentially is cowboy bebop mm-hmm. um samurai shampoo is what take what happens if you take like more modern like you know counterculture 80s and 90s stuff but you stick it back in like feudal Japan. Japan and so you see what happens like the best scene of that at least for like did that really just happen is when you have a bunch of samurai and wandering like swordsmen chilling and then out of nowhere some guys walk up and just beatbox at them 
for no reason. <laughs> they just walk up, they beatbox acapella, and then they move on. And you're just like, yeah. why did that happen? And you're like, oh, wait, I'm watching a weird anime. Yeah. Oh, Samurai Shampoo. Indeed. And I guess if you want to watch something that's airing right now, so it's really easy to find, um, One Punch Man is very popular. That's what I've heard. Um, the entire premise of One Punch Man is what happens if someone wants to be a great superhero and they train so hard that they have grossly overtrained and therefore they become bored because they settle every fight with one incredibly overpowered punch. And then they're like, I have wasted so much of my life, like <laughs> overtraining and taking care of it and becoming so awesome that I can never be a great superhero because every time I punch anyone, they just sort of explode in incredibly graphic high animation ways. And there's no, I can't have a rival. I can't have, you know, an epic adventure because I defeated the final boss at level one. So <laughs> it's purely a comedy, but it's very popular. I've seen a few episodes of it so far. It just aired last year. It's really big. If you ever end up at an anime convention, the guy in the yellow outfit who's bald. Yeah, that's who it is. He's going to be all over the place for a while. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess. What are some of people? Let's just kind of character based. Like, what are people? Some people's like favorite villains and or favorite heroes from anime. Uh, well, uh, Azula takes the top for villain, I think. Oh, for I, me, it's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was say for my villains, probably uh, I like Father Greed and um, um, Brotherhood Wrath, regular pro- or original Pride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are like, and those are all from Full Metal, but those are some of the best villains. They're they're very well developed. Um, I think for me, my one of my favorite villains is also like in his own way one of my favorite heroes because I absolutely loved everything that went on with um, Lelouch from Code Geass. Oh, I was just gonna, I was thinking he's got to be talking about Lelouch. Yeah, because the the entire premise of Code Geass is you're following the bad guy. He's a good. I mean, it's more complex than that. But like, when you look at the normal show, you've got the you've got the heroes who are like the ultra super strong and skilled and talented and naturally amazing characters who end up going up against these super cutthroat, intelligent villains. And in Code Geass, you're following the super cutthroat guy with mind control powers, and it's amazing. Lelouch is so much more. He's so uh, yeah. I get your point, but I I, I don't want to oversimplify it too much, but. It, a lot of the fun is watching it because they take the usual things that you would just associate with the good guy and the bad guy and they flip them. And you end up in this scenario where your main character is physically weak. He's like frail. He, he would probably hurt himself pretty badly if he were to fall down the stairs. Um, but he's super smart. He's super intelligent. He's super plotting. And it's filled with that aha moment of like, yeah, I predicted you'd be here and I set up this thing on the side, like very much like following Batman almost, mm-hmm. but a really cocky Batman. Not like a quiet, I'm better than you, Batman. Like a, no, really, I'm so much better than you. I, you were never even in the game, Batman. Lelouch is an amazing character. And it, all, all of Code Geass is amazing. Like the second season of it, I think it, it goes a little bit off the rails, but I, I ate into it completely, so I can't even hold that against it. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm with you on that one. The, the second season gets into this string where it's like, we're going to one up each episode that came before it. And things scale so much. Like the first season, the robots are really cool because they're pretty much on rollerblades and mm-hmm. using cables to climb up anything because they're very simple. By the end of the second season, you've got flying robots and super nukes and gravity guns and all kinds of nonsense that's just completely spiraled out of control for like a one year difference in plot. 
But you're there the whole way, and you're enjoying it the entire time. You just don't care. It's like they're going to get everything they can into their mech show. Also, giant pizzas. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess that brings up an anime I forgot about. Um, have you guys ever watched Attack on Titan? Oh, yeah. I was going to mention Attack on Titan. It's one of those shows that I, I greatly enjoyed watching it, but I don't know that I can put it in like a, like a, a top favorite list because it's just so damned creepy. It's well, one it's of the zombie most... Show. It's one of the most brutal and depressing. Like I can binge watch most anime. I cannot binge watch that show. Yeah, that's fair. I I, mean, like, I had to because it's so slow. It's just it's so true. slow. I get like two episodes and I just have to stop. I'm just like I'm done. I just I can't do it because like nothing happy ha- ever happens. Spoiler alert: nothing happy ever happens. Uh, this is absolutely true. Nothing happy happens. Yeah, although I will admit that the one little bit at the end of episode four, I won't say what happens. But when the characters are giving, they're all, we're going to do this. It's going to be great speech. The way they <laughs> cut that down is so basic. <laughs> it's just like one moment of, oh, I think I pooped. Just as the audience. Um, it's wonderful. It's funny you're watching like, after you've seen the whole series. And you're like, ha, oh, oh, you. Well, it's getting another season this summer. so It is. Oh, good. So you can watch more of it and probably still not have closure. But <laughs> you know what? It's animated really well. Oh, that and is true. The opening music is the best opening that I've probably seen in years. So good. It is super good. I do like the first opening for Darker Than Black a lot, too, though. Oh, um, that, the Howling in the Shadows one? Yeah. Yeah, so because that's um, by a band called Abingdon Boys School, um, the reason I know this specifically is um, when I put my iPod in my car and I don't put it on any particular setting, it will default to the first thing that comes up in the list. And it'll sort it by artist first, which means the AB and Abington comes up at the top of my shuffle list. From, <laughs> and so I'll turn on my car and then out of nowhere, this heavy music from the opening of Darker Than Black will start blasting out of my speakers way louder than I expect every time. <laughs> and it's a good song to do that on, but it'll scare the crap out of you if you're like <laughs> half asleep and you're getting in your car to drive home at one in the morning. Yeah, you're awake now. <laughs> But it's good. Um, Attack on Titan, it's depressing. Uh, if you are comfortable with the fact that you are going to watch a lot of people suffer, um, like the people joke about how Game of Thrones kills off people constantly and that it's super depressing. This is that, but faster? Much faster. Much um, faster. And yet it's so slow to watch. Uh, but, well, the, the first half is a lot faster than the second half. It's um, almost, parts of it's almost like painstakingly slow. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, the the manga that's being adapted from is going to be wrapping up relatively soon. So we're going to get our season two. It's not going to likely get to the end of it. Um, but I think we'll probably get a season three after that, which will probably come out in another two years as soon as the hype is dying down so they can sell more merch. And that'll probably wrap up the series. So, so I'm going to look forward to essentially the premise is these giant dumb monsters are eating people. And the only way you can stop them is by putting on pants that turn you into Spider-Man and attacking them with knives. To yes. be fair, those pants are amazing. Yeah, like the whiplash would be impressive. But <laughs> well, um, You can see their spines. They're almost like U-shaped. Yeah, it's ridiculous, like all of the stuff. But like the thing is, normally in one of these shows, you're like, all right, we can do this. They're big and they're dumb, but they're slow, and we can handle that, and we can be spry and nimble and get up. No, no you're probably just going to get eaten. Um, happens. lots of characters die on a very regular basis. Uh, and 
that's just the nature of it. I hope you're ready to watch reactions and despair because there's a lot of it. A lot so of crying. much despair. But on the same note, like when the incredibly minor victories happen, you feel it. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, that's such a small thing, but it's so amazing. This is wonderful, inspired. And then like, and by the way, in achieving this minor victory, look at all these people who died. You're like, <sighs> which is kind of great. It's like the way it does it is like you feel every victory they feel in like a reality just because that all their defeats, you just feel them every time. Yeah. And I think but it's no. well written and well it plays on your emotions, but sometimes it's like, come on. Yeah, my recommendation like, for that will be don't wiki anything. Oh, no. period. Um, people who have read the manga are obviously well ahead of anyone watching the show, and there are plenty of spoilers to be had, both in terms of character deaths and in terms of backstories that you don't want to know. That if you're just wikiing these people, you will find out things that will ruin surprises. Try to avoid w- wikiing most anime because a lot of them are fully spoiled. Yeah, typically what will happen is you'll get like a three sentence thing on the character. The first sentence will be, you know, you know, this is so and so. They come from so and so place. They have this power. They die in episode 15. And you're like, what? That's not a backstory. It. Why did you tell me that? Like, or they're secretly blank in disguise, which you find on episode 25. And it's just like, eh, just don't do it. Just watch it. You're yeah. fine. I promise. It's cool. You just watch it. If you, um, there are too many shows that actually rely on plot twists to jinx that. Now, if it's One Piece or something, then you might want to find a list that tells you which episodes you can skip because, I mean, you can watch all of it, but likewise, there are plenty of things that are like, and here are the ones that are actually based on the source material that advanced the plot. And the rest of them were, we were buying time until more of the book came out, so you can skip these. In fact, if you ever watch Naruto or Bleach, get one of those lists. Naruto spent over a year wasting your time. Um, I believe the, over, the last hundred episodes of Naruto are garbage. They are. They are. Um, that was about the time I gave up. Like, there was a point when it was airing where literally the fan subbers, because this was before it was released legally here, the fan subbers said, based on our estimates, we've got 27 more weeks of filler. And then at the beginning of each episode, it would be like 26 weeks of this crap left. In 25 weeks, the show will be relevant. 24 weeks until that stuff that you're looking forward to. And then you get down to about six weeks to go and you get to... 15 weeks they lied to us <laughs> and they're still subbing it they're still translating it for you but even they're getting bitter about it because it just it went well, on for a hundred episodes of wasting your time well because a friend of mine was he started watching it and i said where are you and he said this is where i'm at i'm like oh stop watching you're done he's like what yeah. do you mean like all that's left is garbage but watch the final episode of naruto and then you can move on to Shippuden. Right. Yeah. Oh, filler. God, filler. It was a frustrating journey. I know Bleach has a lot of filler, too. And I can't imagine the amount of filler One Piece has. 800 episodes. But I do like how the an- the animations evolve so much over those 800 episodes. If you get a sufficiently long-running show, you can see when they started using CG. Mm-hmm. Um one of the neat things to compare is, like I was saying before, Lupin's a franchise that was really big in the 70s. Recently, when they started doing Lupin again, they used the CG to emulate the style of the old stuff. Nice. But they do it well. Um, in fact, there was one sideshow for it, which was um, it was based on the character Fujiko. So, as I said, Fujiko is like the sex icon for Japan. She is their Jessica Rabbit. And so the thing is, the show is very artsy. It's kind of highbrow in its own weird little way. 
but it's almost like burlesque insofar as there's a lot of very open, like comfort and sexuality going on in the show. And so I can't just recommend you watch it blindly when, you know, your friends are walking by because it's cartoon boobies. But that said, of cartoon boobies. in animating it, they, they match the style from the manga that it's all based on. Meaning instead of using colors, they use shading. There's colors there, but there's lots of shading, hash lines, stuff like that. Even though it's animated, it doesn't go to still to that. They animated in hash lines for all the shadows. They animated in um, different levels of texture to represent things as if you were looking at stills that someone put together in artwork. Um, the, the animation on it is insane, and it's just beautiful all the way through. You can see the effort that goes into it, but it's still CG. Whereas if you go back and watch the old animation on it, it looks very similar, but you can tell it was hand-drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a neat thing that you can do with long-running shows. You can also see the shows in the early 2000s where they didn't know what they were doing, and it really showed. Like, it, the CG was really bad. And this is also the era where when they started upgrading everything to HD, all those effects don't work very well, and they certainly don't scale up very well. So you might see some really obviously bad stuff around then where they blatantly cut in CG cars. Like, an, even Ghost in the Shell, as amazing as it is, standalone complex, the cars look terrible. Yeah. The cars in season one look really, really bad. Everything else looks great. The opening sequence looks amazing. But the cars look like boxes. Yeah, I was gonna say it's very, very obvious that those are computer generated. Yeah, uh, it, it's a lot better now. Like the, like we'd mentioned Sailor Moon earlier. Recently, they did Sailor Moon Crystal, which is a retelling of it following just the manga. So it cuts out a lot of the elements that, ironically, people loved. Yeah. Because Sailor Moon was such a strong character story in America and in Japan's first run on it. Because it had filler, so they would just do entire episodes devoted to each character and the side things that were going on with them. But it made people like the characters and differentiated them more. Now that they're adapting the original material, all that's gone. And so a lot of the characters are a bit more samey. Things are a lot more serious. It's beautiful because they're using CG to mimic the look and feel of the original story. But on the same note, the art style is very strange to see in motion. Hmm. Because the characters have very, like, elongated arms and legs mm-hmm. that in motion look weird. In art, it's beautiful. It's stylistic. You know, it's amazing. Like, the the running thing of, like, the Sailor Moon characters have legs that go for days, even though they're, like, 14-year-old girls. Mm-hmm. Because the art style is so stylized. Um, when they're moving, you're like, wait, what's going on in this? This is strange. I, I guess it sounds like it's just creepy. Like, uncanny. Well, it's, it's not quite uncanny valley. But it is something that in motion, like, your mind is like, okay, that's weird. Not, like, horrible weird, I'm afraid of it, just, I never actually, in your mind, when you look at it on the still page, think of what it would actually be like if that thing moved. Yeah. And so, you have that going on here. But, I mean, it's still pretty, just in different ways. Well, my friends, as we approach the two-hour mark, I feel like uh, this is certainly a subject we're going to have to revisit, because there's a whole bunch of other stuff we had planned to do tonight that was beyond, let's just talk about our favorite animes. I swear to God, we had a point to all of this. We're not getting to it tonight. So We didn't even get into sub-V-dub. Yeah, I know. I know. That's like the Yeah, biggest... it's called You Have Both Now. Quit whining. Yeah, well, okay. Oh, okay. That's, that's fair. I will say, you have to wait a lot longer for dub, though. You do. Uh, so I, I think, I think what we're going to do is we're just, we're just going to stop it right there. We're just going to put on the brakes. 
we will return and revisit this topic sometime down the road, I promise. Uh, the Too Long Didn't Listen, how did you get to this point? If it was Too Long Didn't Listen, I don't understand. But the Too Long Didn't Listen is that there's a lot of great anime out there. It is a broader genre than it may appear to be when you first encounter it. And there's probably something for you. There are some that are just absolutely fantastic and, and you owe it to yourself to go see. If you subscribe to Netflix, like probably 80% of America does, they have a lot of really good stuff on there. They do. It's, there'll be a lot of good starting points. I believe they have both full medals. They do. They currently have both. Yes. So as of the recording of this. They yeah, used to have. Don't Dark watch the Brotherhood movie, by the way. The the Sacred Star of Minos sucks. Really? I never saw the movie. Yeah, just don't. Okay. It's terrible. <laughs> that that is my only warning to not watch something. Um, yeah, it, they, they didn't nail movies for full metal. No, <laughs> it, it's like a side story that doesn't fit in anywhere in the storyline, no matter what, because Brotherhood has one continuous plot, and putting a side story in doesn't work, and it introduces a bunch of original characters that you'll never see again, and it's just stupid. So. Does it, is it go before or after the end? During. Like, it's During. set as a side story somewhere around episode 20, but there's no point in the series where it could actually fit. Gross. Okay. So. I mean, at least. Like, oh, there's a Philosopher's Stone over there. Let's drop the plot and go do that, because that never <sighs> happened. At least Conqueror of Shambhala, like, had a place. Oh, yeah. It was definitively the end of the show. Like, I'll, give the, I'll give it. I'll give it <laughs> that credit. I'll give that credit. Yeah. But yeah, there's lots of stuff, and there's lots on Netflix, and you can totally check all that out. And you can watch it subbed or dubbed, if you have a preference between English or Japanese. Uh, depends. Some stuff they only have subbed. Okay. Well, for that one, I'm pretty sure they have both. But And it has a good dub, so you can actually watch it in English. They have Funimation's amazing at dubbing. Yeah. Even though, they use, even though they use the same actors all the time. They do. I'm okay of, with that. A lot that, of the though. same vocal talent. I'm okay with that. See if you can find the former Black Power Ranger. Here's a hint. He's in everything on Cartoon Network. <laughs> See if you can find the guy who voices Nejin Kara. Gara, because he is, they are in every anime ever. It's so much better than the voices they had in the 90s, though. True. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. They sound like people, not cartoons. They, they sound like people and not like people that have been fed nothing but helium and drugs. <laughs> the 90s was really really rough on voice acting <laughs> all right well uh squee i want to thank you very much for joining us if people want to hear more from you or get in contact with you you got any information you want to throw out there sure uh you can follow me on twitter at squee goblin nabob uh there's no iron goblin because it was tied up in the harmony gold rights for macross so what few people get that understand how frustrating it is. Um, but beyond that, yeah, you can get me on there. I'll be on Monday Night Magic pretty much every week. Like I've missed maybe four ever. So pretty good odds of finding me there. And beyond that, if you are like, obviously you're listening to this, you care about Magic the Gathering. Um, I have a website, which is enchantworld.com, where you can go to listen to stories that people have submitted actual audio stories that I compile. I haven't got as many episodes out as I would like to so far. But if you would like to submit your stories as well, there are a number of prompts. There's a form. You can directly hit the record button on there and speak into the microphone on your computer, and it will take your words. It gives you five or six minutes to just tell a story on whatever prompt. I will take those. I will edit them. I'll put them together for you. You don't have to do any work on it. If you have your own audio software and you want to do something with it and submit that instead, record yourself. Speaking to whichever topic you find on the website that you want to do, 
submit it to planeswalker.squee at gmail.com. It'll get to me. And from there, I will include them. As I get enough topics to make each episode worthwhile, I'll release them. So the actual order depends on the order I get things. But there's plenty of stuff. And if none of the topics fit what you want to talk about, go ahead and do it anyway. I'll hang on to them. And as I get enough things there, I may add them as topics to receive and then fill out an episode and put it out that way. So lots of ways to get your voice out. I will be listening. Otherwise, just find me on Twitter and watch me misuse hashtags. All right. Sounds great. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us here at the show, there are a number of ways to do that. Uh, we are at, uh, let's see now, cardadvantagecast.com. We are on the Twitters. We are at cardadvantage. We have an email. It is mtgcardadvantage at gmail.com. You can find me. They're your best places on Twitter. I am at Lockluze, spelled just like it is in the show notes. Yep, you can find me for the Twitter in the show notes. Are we not going to drop our big bomb? Uh, well, I was going to do that after we get this. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, we have some news coming up. There's, uh, there's going to be some big news from Card Advantage. We are going to be rebranding. We will be having a new name coming soon. I don't know if we should tell them now or just tease them now. Mm. Uh, but, but so. So following this, um, it's not a reboot, right? It is not a reboot. We're going to so continue. Will numbering. your underwear stay on the outside? Uh, yes. Okay. As long as your underwear is on the outside, otherwise it's weird. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're going to, we're going to be <laughs> re, rebranding, not restarting the show. We're going to uh-huh. change our name going forward because there is, there is a minor bit of confusion, uh, between us and a, uh, a certain store store that actually sells magic cards which is not us uh and so we've been talking about it for a while and uh we're, we're gonna bite the bullet and we will be doing it uh coming soon not not right away we got a couple of things to put into place behind the scenes but maybe starting next episode we'll be we'll be double branded i guess you'll we're, say we're pretty pumped for the new name i know i am we are we are so i'll tell you what if you've listened this long if you've listened this long okay card advantage is going to be coming random discard so starting soon, we will be known as Random Discard. Numbering will continue forward, uh, but that's 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 a thing. It's it's coming soon. Okay. Can I go on Twitter and call you R and D, or will that be confusing? Uh, that will probably be confusing, but do it anyway. Okay. <laughs> that's it'll it'll add mystique and uh, uh, an air of mystery to it all. In case so. you guys haven't heard, Rich and Clues are doing R and D now. We totally are. <laughs> we totally are. We're responsible for all the things you love and none of the things you hate. Ooh, the Rosewater approach. That's right. That's right. Uh, so there you go. This has been episode number 109 of Card Advantage, the big anime spectacular part one. Uh, thank you all very much for listening, and we will see you all next time. I don't got a stinger. Oh, that's sad. I I just hope the recording's okay, to be honest with you, because with did, all the software problems. Someone?
I was having. It could be anything. Uh, hey, uh, Squee, by the way, did you did you make a backup recording? Were you? Recording? I always do. Oh, thank. Oh, thank God. God, because <laughs> I have no idea if this thing worked, but we'll find out. <laughs>